Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings, citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast. Now, most regular episodes, we get together, we've watched a movie and we sit and talk about it in depth, often 90 plus minutes because we're nut jobs and talking about movies is fun. But that's not what this episode is. This is a countdown episode where we have gotten together and we have decided on our top 25 science fiction movies of the 1990s. We're going to reveal our list, starting at 25, of course, and counting down to number one. And if you're a patron or a YouTube member, you'll get a bonus video uh, not too long after this comes out where you can see us deciding and how we debated and deliberated those things and also get a bunch of honorable mentions that did not quite make the cut. But we talked about them all in that uh, bonus video. But this is going to be the results. This is the, the top 25 that we have formed together. Tara might call it a compromised list because she wasn't happy she had to <laughs> not have certain things in certain places. It's definitely... There's there's some compromises happening. <laughs> but that, that's, that's, that's what it is. It's two people making a list. We have to compromise. It's, it's, uh... It was hard. <laughs> <laughs> so... We're going to get into it. Uh, obviously, the, the rules are simple. Is it 90s? Is it sci-fi? It's eligible. And that's where it is. And obviously, we reviewed a bunch of these um, this past year. We had a 90s season, but obviously, some of them were just done randomly before that because they came up. And there's a few here that we haven't reviewed yet, which we will get to at some point. And obviously, there will be more 90s seasons in the future, so there'll be a reason to come back and maybe revisit this at some point down the line where we can sort of look at it again and say okay we've seen another 15 20 sci-fi movies from the 90s that were weirder that were less commonly known do any of them make the list or shake things up or, or whatever uh so yeah and there's one or two things that i do like that i didn't even like argue for this list just purely because i, ha- I hadn't seen them in so long that i couldn't really like talk about them or argue why they should be here so not everything that isn't here is necessarily a snub or that because i don't necessarily respect it you know, some of it is just because, oh, it's been long enough that we need to see it again, um, especially in this, this case because it was ones that I had seen in Tara Han. So it's like, I can't argue for them because it's been too long and Tara's not even seen them. So that's why I'm not here. Unlike, say, something like Dark City, which is just overrated shit, and that's why it's not on the list. I think that's a little harsh, but uh, <laughs> it didn't make either of our lists. <laughs> Come on, go back to that. It's like our fourth episode. Neither of us were happy about that movie. Yeah, but like in 90 six or seven whenever it came out i do remember watching it a lot on tv and thinking this is the greatest science fiction movie ever it's just you know it's aged differently i have a different taste now uh-huh. but i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's overrated crap <laughs> <laughs> i never late dark say i'd reviewed it for the show uh way back at the start of the show only reiterated all my feelings on why i don't like dark say <laughs> I, but... I also feel the same about 12 monkeys it's not gonna be on the list so it's, it's just that okay. it's, you know, it's it's a good movie, but it's not, I don't know, it doesn't hold up as well on rewatch. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I like to say one for shock value for the comedy. Let's stop confirming what's not on the list <laughs> so they can get surprised by what's on the list. All right. I'm done. Those are the, probably the two biggest ones anyway. <laughs> in terms of snubs that are like, why isn't this on the list? Yeah, those are probably yeah, the biggest ones. This is, the, this is on all the other prestige sci-fi lists. Yes. But they're all wrong and we're right. Except a few things that I had to let Tara have, again, out of compromise, which I suppose 
<laughs> but that's what makes it our list. That's what makes it the ace list, the atomic cinema experiment list. Yeah. Thank you for letting me include Rocket Man in the top five. <laughs> Don't worry, everyone. Don't worry. She jests. She jests. <laughs> and that was funnier than most of the jokes that are in Rocket Man, ironically. So. <laughs> So without further ado, I think we'll uh, just go back and forward, like, revealing them. So I'll let you... Actually... Do uh, I do number one, huh? Well, I mean, do you... I mean, would, <laughs> do, do, you, do you want to do the odds or the evens? It's up to you. Yeah, I'll do the odds. Do I do the odds? You want to reveal number one, okay. <laughs> All right, well, what's number 25? I'll do the evens. What? <laughs> Why have, you, why have you changed your mind? What, 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 what's, why is it such a big decision? I'll do, I'll do the evens. Okay. You do the odds. Is there a reason? Maybe. <laughs> I'll keep it close to the chest. And you go first. Oh, is there a movie in the evens that you really want to reveal? Is that what it is? <laughs> what's the first one? Oh, Number 25. Okay. Number 25 is... Controversial pick, Alien Three. Yes. Which uh, I think we watched this one this year and reviewed it. Yeah, this was uh, this was the movie we did for Alien Day this year. We did Alien Three, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very flawed film. It's obviously not what everyone wanted after Aliens, and it's obviously uh, it got its problem, especially the theatrical cut. I think the longer cut, the uh, the assembly producers cut or whatever it's called, is the better version and has some interesting like subplots that make the film feel more full uh, but as far as positives go i do think it is a very visually you know beautiful like it's a really grimy dark film but it's a really beautiful grimy and dark it's a very it's a very cool like 90s uh science fiction movie i think that fincher coolness is in there even if it is also fincher like that filter he uses where everything kind of looks like slightly vomit colored yeah but this was first <laughs> this was the first movie he made so this was before everything this is before even seven right yeah so this is more of a yeah re- reflecting looking back on it um this is where it all began <laughs> but I, yeah I've, i i think i argue for this one to be on the list uh over our you know to make the to at least make the cut um yeah yeah because I, I think of all the things that we had to choose from, this one still feels very sci-fi. You know, it takes place off-world. It's a really cool, like, prison colony. Um, I do enjoy, like, the characters that we get. They are very caricature, but they're still... And, you know, it, it feels really unique, and the dialogue's really good. And even though I don't love, you know, that this is the next Alien movie after Aliens, if you just kind of like, okay, let's just go with it, it's kind of a cool Ripley story still. I, I kind of go back and forth on how I feel about Alien 3 every time I watch it, just depending on my mood. But it definitely visually has a lot going on. And especially in the assembly cut, there's a great shot where you see uh, Charles Dance's character, I think it is, running across like, the horizon. And you see like, the big like refinery in the background. And it just it feels really, you know, otherworldly. It feels like it is like this different, like, harsh world that they're on. And, Mm-hmm. Uh, so from an aesthetic point of view like I, I like it's oozing in style which is you know I think why ultimately it, it, it ekes out a place onto a list like this now when I see more sci-fi from the 90s and may, maybe it gets bumped off like you know it could get bumped off but I think part of the fun of doing like a list like this is that you know you kind of want some picks that feel personal to us that make it a bit more unique than just here's the aggregated like objective best movies because there's definitely some picks on here that are because we love them and not because they're necessarily objectively 
great movies. And yes, and Tara, if Tara had her way, it'd have, like ninety percent of it would have been that. <laughs> I, had to, I had to rein her in. <laughs> but Alien Three definitely visually very stunning and has a, has a cool tone, even if it's uh, you know d- does have elements where you're like, God damn, you did this after Aliens? What the hell? Like, come on, how dare how dare you kill these characters off that I cared so much about? But you know that that's that, that that's you know that that. Uh, a debate for this one as old as time, basically, since the moment it came out. But, uh, yeah. It's an interesting one, though. If, if nothing else, even if you look at Alien 3 as a failure, and I think that's a fair thing to think of it as, it's an interesting failure with a good story behind why it failed. You know, yeah. the making of documentary on it, the big long three, three and a half hour one that you get, if you get the Blu-ray or you get the, uh, if you get it on iTunes or whatever. Like, that documentary is fascinating because it is this, like, troubled production and, like, all the things that went into it, so... Yeah, I think it's kind of sad that Fincher sort of disowns this movie, too, because it is still a movie to be proud of, even if it's not the movie he ultimately wanted to make. It would, yeah, it would be fascinating if he, if he eased up enough just to like, talk about it. Just like, yeah, do a commentary track and just talk about it, even if you are going to be like negative about your experience and talk about the studio and all that. Uh, and maybe in some level they didn't want him to, because he still made a lot of films with Fox, like, you know, Fight Clubs with Fox, um... I'm sure there's at least another one or two films that he did with Fox. So he may, maybe it was like there was still a working relationship and part of it was like, we don't talk about you in Alien 3, you don't talk about your time in Alien 3 and we make more movies together, <laughs> right? Maybe that was part of yeah, the, the deal, you know? Well, that's that's how the, the relationship was able to just ignore the, <laughs> the baggage and just move <laughs> on to new things. Uh, but yeah, Alien 3 is number 25. What's 24, Tara? Uh, number 24 is Small Soldiers, which is, I, I know a movie we both like. I think also we haven't seen it in a while. Yes, that's true. So it could I be do... higher. It, it, this may, on a revisit to this list, it could be much higher once we've both rewatched yeah, it. Yeah, it definitely has a lot going for it. I remember going to the movies to see this. I was so ex- excited to see it because I was a huge Phil Hartman fan. Mm. <laughs> and unfortunately, he was murdered that year. And I But I knew that this was his last movie, so I had to go see it. And um, I collected, like, all the cards and stuff. You can buy cards in a pack, trading cards for the movie at the time. I don't know. And I had all of them. Um, I don't really remember exactly what makes it sci-fi. I guess it's some sort of invention going on. I can't quite recall. Um, well, the toys come to life. That's definitely science fiction. <laughs> they come to life. It has to be through some sort of, like... I want to say there is a... Why. There's, like, a, a satellite dish involved... Uh, yeah, I, I'm getting I'm getting visuals of some sort of machine that does it. Or, in fact, I'm pretty sure Phil Hartman. They were, go ahead. I'm pretty sure Phil Hartman's the one installing the satellite dish in his backyard or something at the start of the movie. I want to say that's that. Right. So that, it's been a long time. Look, Tower wanted to put this here, and I don't remember it well enough to really fight for it. But I like Joe Dante enough that I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to have Joe Dante on my list. It's Joe Dante. It's got <laughs> Phil Hartman. It's got Dick Miller, and it's got a bunch of. Um, tiny army men who are actually badass action yeah. stars. Well, they're the villains, right? They're the soldiers yeah. the, are the villains, and then the other toys kind of like. So, because uh, I think well, Tom, kids too, yeah. Yeah, I want to see Tommy Lee Jones as the main. I think that's uh, soldier right. Did, yeah, yeah, the one that looks like the villain from Avatar. <laughs> it looks like Quaritch. It, it does, yes. <laughs> uh, also, Nikolai from Resident Evil Three, which. Yeah. You know, well, you anyway, making the list made me go. I should probably watch this again, but there's no way, like, I, there's no way I'm wrong about it being at least 24. <laughs> yeah, it was basically like the, the feeling of this one was like this definitely beats all the other things we were considering that didn't quite make the cut. 
but we don't remember it well enough to argue for it to be any higher. But we feel pretty confident that Small Soldiers deserves to be here. Yes. <laughs> at, at least without seeing some other gems or something that we haven't quite gotten to. Uh, right. that, that might shake things up. But yeah, Small Soldiers, number 24. Uh, number 23! Demolition Man. Whoa. Yeah, this is uh, Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes. It's basically a sci-fi comedy. It's kind of a sci-fi action movie, but the action's the worst part. What makes it great is the characters and all the comedy of him being in this future. Uh, Sandra yeah. Bullock is kind of the, the heart of the film. It's kind of the <laughs> standout gem. Even Rob Schneider's got a few good jokes. He's barely in it, but yeah, it's... <laughs> but he's funny when he's there. But he is funny, yeah, you're right, because there's there's something about the earnestness of everything they say that sounds incredibly ridiculous, but um, the same with, like, Sandra Bullock is such a standout in the movie for me, uh, just because she's so, like, cute. Like, she just, she's like a kid watching an action movie, and she it's it's almost like her last action hero. <laughs> Stallone comes from the past to like be the badass action hero but it's it's not exactly what she expects and he's he is very much a fish out of water but um i I enjoyed the future the jokes and that remind me a lot of jokes that we get in futurama where it's just Mm -hmm. like someone from our time is in the way future and things don't make any sense or like their history of our time is just completely wrong and silly um anyway yeah it's it's a fun movie but i agree like the thing that keeps it from being great is that the action is just not done very well, and it is an action movie, so it's it could be kind of frustrating, especially yeah, they, in the third act. The action is the weaker part, which is why I think, yeah, the last half hour is by far, it, you know, it falls down a little bit, because the, the climax isn't that big a deal, it doesn't feel like you care about it, because what makes it good, though, is all the entertaining banter between Stallone and Sandra Bullock and any of the, any of the mm-hmm. other side characters that show up, you know. Like, Even Wesley Snipes is, is a fun villain. Yeah, yeah. When we were watching, you know, we did it earlier this year. Uh, was it part of the 90s season or just something we did earlier on? I can't remember. But either way, when we did it, like, you know, it was, it was fun hearing all these old lines again and remembering, you know, what is your boggle? And <laughs> things like that. <laughs> all the stuff that Sandra Bullock says that is, like, wrong about, you know, that she tries to say, like, a 90s phrase and gets it completely wrong. And some of them come out sounding... In fact, all of them come out sounding... A bit of an innuendo. You know, they all come out sounding like, let's go blow this guy. Away! Go blow this guy. Away! That's a funny light. And the way she just goes, ah, whatever. Like, no, not whatever. <laughs> you're saying you're going to find the villain and, the, the, you know, give him fellatio. That's a big difference between that and, you know, kill him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's silly fun, but the, the humor really excels in the film yeah so yeah it's a really funny movie like, that, that's the, that, that's what elevates it so much is the comedy is actually really good uh so uh and it doesn't really skimp on it's like set design you know it looks like they've put money behind it enough to make it feel like they can create a sci-fi futuristic city of san angeles i want to say uh, that, yeah i think that's right i want to say it was san angeles but yeah uh so oh good all right what's next uh next one is a very special movie <laughs> Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. What number is it? The final film. Hmm? What number is it? Uh, number 22. <laughs> Thanks for... Thanks for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see what the number is. It's kind of important. Number 22 is Star Trek VI. There you go. The Undiscovered Country. <laughs> the final film of the original six, if you want to call it that. The... Uh, the uh the six motion picture 
films from the original series cast and which are obviously very important to me as a as a major trekkie all my life and i think this one is this one's really fun this one's probably more actiony but also like you get a deep dive into kirk and uh some of his issues with um you know not not uh not giving his personal issues with um with the federation allowing the klingons in and you know obviously there's a lot of history there and um kirk needs to get over some personal biases and obviously some things happened with him in the past that we are aware of and uh there's some there's a fun prison breakout scene there's a i don't know it's like the last two right this is of like the original films this one's uh, pretty high on a lot of people's list i'd say it's more medium tier for me just because everyone's getting pretty old by this point and it's very obvious why they had to switch to the original series for the next films but um i I do still love that that cast that crew and we get one last fun adventure with them yeah i like i think this is an important plot point in star trek lore because this is the turning point of where the Klingons become part of the Federation, which is something that had to happen for next gen. It actually feels like it's the perfect plot to doing your final original series film. But I do think the film itself is a little, I don't know, lackluster in places. You know, when I uh, reviewed it with Connor, both of us kind of felt like, oh, this wasn't as like, because I think one to four all have merit. One to four are all various degrees from good to great. Well. All right. <laughs> You're skipping one. <laughs> okay uh, well, are, you, their own. are you complaining that i'm not praising five is yeah. that what you're saying <laughs> i mean six is definitely better than five but it's like if anything it's like at least less interesting than five so obviously this is here because tara fought for it tara was fighting for every star trek movie she could right that's that's you know, that's, that's, that's the truth of i it. opened with it right that was yeah. like that was my opener like well, we like... got four star trek movies we're them. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like hold your horses we'll see which ones make it um so yes uh i conceded enough to let star trek six in so i mean i I think it's got some positive points but yeah this this was tara's baby that she was fighting for so yeah i think it is a a good movie to close the uh the chapter of the original series i mean just the whole like this is so different like the the whole series the klingons were like the big enemy the, the big recurring enemy you know and now they're being accepted into the federation and there's some you know, people who have problems with that. And you can definitely see why Kirk would have a problem with that. And like getting past his racism in a way for it because he can't see, you know, and he's, uh, he's got, well, the, the stuff on the ship also is pretty good. Like it's very separate from what's going on with Kirk. Um, you know, the stuff on the ship, there's, uh, what's her name from Samantha from <laughs> Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Kim Cattrall is, uh, is a, is a Vulcan on the enterprise and is um you know spock's kind of taking her under his wing to 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 teach her and there's uh there's a whole plot line with her going on there's some there's some espionage happening there's some people who maybe i don't know like it's it's just really fun uh story that's going on on the ship apart from what kirk is doing as well and it is it's nice to watch a movie after five which I love five, obviously, but it is a very <laughs> ego heavy <laughs> movie for Shatner. And then watching a movie where, where Captain Kirk is not being very heroic in the beginning, you know, where he's got some things to overcome. It's more, it's more of a ballsy move to actually say this is a movie about 
a, a potential change for the better in the Star Trek world, but the, the, the main thing we're dealing with is the prejudice of some mm-hmm. of our main characters. And while it's somewhat understandable because they've lived through a war with this enemy, uh, it's very Star Trek to have to have those characters get over it to make a... You know, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good story to tell. I don't think yeah. the movie necessarily lives up to the potential of it, but I, I do think the, the core story of it is, is, is good. Okay. All right. 21 is Strange Days. This is Catherine Biggles' film from uh, 1995. This is, this is a... Again, this is a very mixed film in that there's, the murder mystery part of the film is pr- actually pretty weak and the, 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 the ending of it is especially bad. <laughs> but the yeah. movie's really good because it's, it's a very political film that talks about police brutality. It talks about racism in America. It's set in like a near future where... It's kind of like these weird like like VR like memory headset things that record memories and you can experience the feelings of them. But it, effectively when you watch it now it's like it's predicting being able to film things with your phone and like how that could affect certain things if people can like have evidence of certain things happening. And mm-hmm. all of that stuff is fascinating. Uh, the relationship between Ray Fiennes' character and Angela Bassett's character, uh, I think they're chemistry and their back and forth and what their story is is great and everything it's doing except the murder mystery part is is actually really good and the world that it sets up is just this kind of grimy near future is is really strong uh and also co-written and produced by uh james cameron as well it's worth mentioning probably that makes sense doesn't it take place in los angeles also or am i misremembering i think so Let's, let's see that sounds right but yeah, I, it, this is sort of has like the Starship Troopers thing of like um, the military s- sort of taking over. Like uh, it's a very police state future for America in this. And it's almost like it's happening in the background around the murder mystery. But that is the more interesting stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, crime is is too high. So, um, you know, police who are normally there to protect and serve have now turned civilians into the enemy and therefore they look like the army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's like constantly tanks going around. Things are just on fire. There's always protests. Uh, you know, it's just a really chaotic future and people are trying to just like, it makes sense that there would be an advance in technology for experiencing pleasure because these this terrible world requires more like extreme ways of escapism yeah yeah uh it's like i say it's got its flaws but what it's doing right and the reason why it's kind of this gem that people bring up from time to time is you know when i was a teenager and i was looking for more sci-fi this was something that came up a lot and like oh like lesser talked about 90s movies you should check out and I don't think I appreciate it at the time. I had to get older and sort of, like, have more, like, just general world knowledge before I could appreciate what this movie was doing. But once I did, like, I do actually think it's, it's doing a lot of great stuff. So, yeah, I think it absolutely deserves a shout-out. And, you know, I'm never going to, like, put it above, like, films that are just complete, you know, across the board, like, winners. But what it's doing with those those political elements are, is really, really strong and kind of ahead of its time. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, that was Tom Sizemore in it, too, right? With the wig? That's one of the negatives, yeah. <laughs> it's Tom Sizemore <laughs> with the long hair. That said, though, Tom Sizemore with any hair is a, is a it's negative. It's too jarring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, there you go. What's next, Tara? 
Oh, what is next? All right, number 20 is um, another franchise film, Back to the Future 3, which is a 90s movie. Yeah. How fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this was kind of a weird one, because obviously I love the Back to the Future trilogy so much. Uh, most people do, unless your name's Connor. And... <laughs> Like, 3 is kind of this thing where some people prefer it more than 2, and some people prefer 2 over 3. Almost everyone agrees that 1 is the, you know, the, the best. Yeah, um, growing up, I would say I would put 3 over 2. I don't know if I agree with that still, but I, I liked the Western. Yeah, sure. Three. Yeah, but, like, I, I think, it, it's all, if anything, like you could argue it should be higher in some ways, uh, because Marty and Doc are, are such likable characters, and their adventure in this time period... And it's so heartwarming and funny, you know, trying to, like, sober Doc up, for example, when he's supposed to be having, like, a gunfight at noon, <laughs> and, or, like, mm-hmm. just the wacky ways of, like, you know, the challenge in the first movie is, like, how do we, like, get the, the amount of energy that plutonium normally gives? Is this 1.21 gigawatts of electricity? And then I love that the, the problem in the third movie is much more pared back. It's like, no, we've got that part sorted. The problem is getting the car to go fast enough. It's meant to go 80 miles per hour. And we live yeah. in a world without, you know, fuel. <laughs> like, there's no <laughs> regular fuel to, yeah. to just go garret. How, how do we do it? So it becomes this plot about trying to, like, steal a train so that we can use the train to try and get it to 80 miles per hour by pushing it. And I'm like, I love how you just take the, the problem for the first movie and you say, but what if it was just something simple that's easy today? that wouldn't be easy, you know, a hundred years ago in this case at the time. So yeah. I love that. I, I love the, the premise of it. Um, you know, the love story with Doc is like, it's fine. You know, it's sweet at places, but it maybe takes a little bit too much screen time. Uh, that's maybe why it you know, slows I it guess, down a little. Like, yeah, I, I'm happy for, for Doc to have this in his life. Cause he is mm-hmm. a really likable character and he seems like he's just so obsessed with work that he never had time for this kind of thing for romance. And it is, it's interesting that he feels more comfortable having a romance in a time in the past versus the future, but, or modern day, present day, whatever. But, um, I, I do, I do like seeing also like, um, uh, mad dog tiger. <laughs> I think he's mm-hmm. of, of all the taggers. I think he's my favorite. Was it tiger? The name tiger's not ringing a bell. Oh, I thought it was. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering. I thought Mad it was dog. Mad Dog T. <laughs> Mad Dog Biff. Mad Dog. I don't remember. Biff. Biff te- I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, like. it doesn't matter. Just like, go on. Right. The, the Biff character, the, the old Biff character. Mad Dog. <laughs> yeah. Tannen? Is Tannen right? Tannen. Tannen. That sounds right. Okay, Tannen okay. sounds right. Yeah. Not yeah, Tiger. Sorry. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, Mad Dog Tannen. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. Yeah, no, I think um, of, all the, of all the Biffs, he's my favorite Biff. Oh, that's fair. Actually, there's uh, something that I I didn't know, and we've not reviewed the Battle of Future trilogy yet, and we will obviously. And there'll be if if our attempt to do the first one that failed that one yeah, time it's cursed. We is cursed. Is to go by? They're going to be very long reviews. Uh, but the uh, t- towards the end of the film, not to get too spoiler, but there's like a a gang in present day. Uh, that Marty's almost in a street race with, uh, headed by Needles. Mm-hmm. Um, I just found out the other day that all of his cronies in that scene, like, each one's from a different Biff gang from a different time period, like, the actors. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, it, I don't know, it's just kind of funny that... It's, it's, oh, neat. Uh, it, was just, it was just a neat little thing. Any of them, uh, uh, what's his name, Billy Zane? No, 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 Billy Zane's not one of them. But Billy Zane's <laughs> obviously in the first and second movie uh, in the yeah. 50s period. Um, yeah, so, no, like... 
Back to the Future 3 is still really great. It's fun. And it's, it still gets a lot of things right. And it's a nice spin on what the other movies had done. Um, and, you know, the, the second one does foreshadow that there's going to be romance explorations for, for Doc. You know, there's that, that joke in the early on the second film. He's like, you know, maybe when I'm done with all this time travel stuff, I can finally devote myself to Universe's other great mystery. Women. And that's <laughs> just kind of the, the joke. But it's a funny Cute. moment. It's, it's, so... Yeah, no, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, number 19. Another sequel. This one might be controversial to some, but Predator what? 2. What? <laughs> I love Predator 2. and me I will, too. I will, like, don't get me wrong. It's not as immaculately directed as the first one is. The first one is a masterclass. But it's, and, so, it's so, you know, maligned. And yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, it gets a lot of shit. It gets this shit like, like it's one of the worst sequels ever made. And I, I do not understand. Like, it's so much fun. It's got a great cast. you got Bill Paxton, Gary Busey. <laughs> I like got... that you open with Bill Paxton, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't I open with Bill Paxton? Obviously, Danny Glover. Because oh, Danny Glover's uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, no, he's great in the lead role, but Bill Paxton, it's like, you know, he's, he's a gem, that man. And... Danny Glover, like, introduces himself in the movie, like, straight from Lethal Weapon. Like, he took the car and he just drove into the set we're hanging out of it, shooting at bad guys. <laughs> Except, no, but he's acting more like Riggs, though, is the thing. He's not he like is, his yeah. character in Lethal Weapon. He's kind of the opposite. He's definitely not too old for it, yeah. No, no. <laughs> and then this movie is like, uh, you kids today don't even know how to be a tough old man. <laughs> I'll show you yeah. how to be a tough old man. Uh, but no, you take it out of the jungle, you put it in the city, the urban jungle, and you expand the, weapons, uh, the, the Predator's weaponry. You have, you know, there's a lot of fun Predator moments in the second Not one. Not just the weaponry, but like all the lore that we get extra, yeah. which is, I think, a, a cool carryover from the first one where it wasn't just this, this alien came. Like, he always had really cool tech that said a lot about the planet he came from. And I think this one adds to that so a lot, especially by the end, um, where it doesn't feel like it betrays anything that's set up from the first film. No, it just expands upon it a little bit. And- uh it's legitimately funny in places you know i won't spoil the context i'll just say i don't think he gives a shit is <laughs> is one of the funniest lines in any movies we're going to talk about today uh so like yeah i love predator too it's uh yeah. predator is a lot of fun yeah it's maybe it's, it was some really great set pieces too that are missing from you know some other predator sequels I one may argue most of the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, like the subway scene is like one of the best. Yeah, subway scene is great. Uh, there's a scene that's sort of in the rain with the puddle where he sort of decloaks, which is really good. Um, mm. The entire kind of chase at the end with with Danny Glover across the rooftops and all that is all really fun. Yeah, it also kind stuff. of feels like a like a leftover eighties movie too. Like it doesn't. Mm. It, it's it is nineties and there's a lot of nineties things going on, but it just it feels like it's part of that. That's a, there's some crossover <laughs> yeah there's some crossover vibes for sure uh yeah. it's set in the distant future of 1997 my favorite old future <laughs> uh it wasn't old at the time <laughs> obviously no, it's, it's quite funny so yeah that no, predator 2 I, I i will stick up for predator 2 it's been a fun time i'm not saying it's high art i'm not saying it deserves any accolades in those kind of realms but i think it's a good time and i think it's a better sequel than a lot of other sequels out there so there you go what's next Tara all right number 18 is the longest movie we've ever done for (laughs) for the ace and that is until the end of the world which was a Wim Winters film yep uh with um 
William Hurt. If I recall correctly, it clocked in, the director's cut that we watched clocked in about four hours and 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I think it was just shy, because I made a joke that I'm, I'm starting this five-hour-long movie, yeah. and you were like, ha-ha, that's funny, and then didn't realize that you didn't give yourself enough time to watch the movie. Well, that's because I looked at the runtime in IMDb, but that was the theatrical cut, so I, I saw like three hours and ten minutes and thought, oh, that's, I mean, it's long, but it's normal long, and then... I, d- I don't know if that movie's good, probably because the movie has a lot of style, and it's, but like, the long version of it, yeah, it... it I mean, obviously, it's going to feel long, but it's still, it's it's more of like a it's like a Terrence Malick long, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. want to take in all the atmosphere and everything that's going on around. It's, it's it. a journey movie where, like, I, mean, I think even the, the the selling point is like, oh, I was shot in four continents, and it is. You, know, you go from like place to place, and uh, you're you're you've got this sort of destination road film, and these two characters that are kind of traveling together, but also kind of chasing each other as well. The uh, and then. It, you know, it's, it's set in the near future, so there's a little bit of sci-fi, but then the real sci-fi concepts come in in like the last hour or so, you know, which, you know, is quite late on in this film, but uh, it, it gets into some really interesting ideas about uh, memories and uh, and, and life and stuff, and, and dreams, yeah. yeah. And so and Max von Sydow eventually shows up, so he's another big name to, to have in the I film. I totally forgot he was in that, yeah, you're right. Because yeah. he, he does show up in, like, I guess what you would consider the third act of the movie. I think this it's, movie's got it's more sort of than... break structure. Yeah, so. this, this has got more than three acts. I, I don't think we can say this has got a three-act structure. Maybe yeah. 13 acts. <laughs> yeah, I think we found this one because of the Criterion app. I think it just sort of appeared on that. And we're like, oh, let's yeah, yeah. check it out. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I think Criterion released it uh, the year that the app came out. Yeah, they did the big, the, the, the big Blu-ray, which is the remaster, the, the director's cut, and all that. Which I'm glad they did because, like, you know, I, I love some of Wim Wenders other films, which aren't sci-fi, but but are long, but <laughs> they're, they're longish. Oh, I wouldn't say Wings of Desire, Paris, Texas, are like super long. Well, I mean, they're not the traditional. Let's make it under, like, between an hour thirty and two hours. <laughs> Yeah, but they're not, they're not much more. I mean, compared to this, this movie's nearly five hours long. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's definitely not, nothing close to that. It's, it definitely feels more normal in terms of, like, what they are. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a really good sort of... Uh, I mean, I think Mal- Terrence Malick's a, an interesting comparison, actually. It's, it doesn't feel exactly like that, but in the same well, way that you're... Yeah, it's it's trying to take in the environment. Yeah, you're absorbing, so than, uh... you're absorbing the details of the world that they're in, and there's a lot of them traveling driving uh, a lot of like intimate conversations along the way and stuff but there's, there's a lot of vista shots there's a lot of let's enjoy all of this all of the world that we're showing mm-hmm. uh because ultimately the sci-fi concepts yeah. to get to in the last chunk of the movie uh do kind of bring into question what it means for the world so it kind of feels fitting that we've traveled most of the planet by the time we get there and it kind of you know yeah, it, it works true. it is it's more like a maybe less terence malick and more like david attenborough <laughs> <laughs> but no honestly like all of Wim Wenders films have elements of what we're talking about here this one's mm-hmm. obviously got the most of it but they all have this kind of feeling of um like i watched a movie called alice in the cities that he did which again it was this this travel film with a guy and a young girl who he ends up kind of looking after because she, she's like without her parents or whatever um uh you know her, her mother actually no if i remember right the setup is that her mother kind of ditches like the mother's like talking to him and then like ditches are with him 
uh, just sort of randomly, and he's kind of lumped with this like teenage girl or young girl that he has to take care of. So it's this road trip of him like taking her to like a grandparent or something. But you know they have to go through like, multiple train rides to a different city and stuff like that. And a lot of it is just taking in like you know the the journey and like them bonding as it's happening. But unlike a lot of normal stories where the it's like all these events that happen on the way that make them bond. A lot of it is just being in the environments and being in these different places mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah, you really appreciate, you know, the beauty of the world. Yeah. So, that's oh, very good. Uh, so, what have we got? Uh, next, it's me. Uh, number 17. <laughs> <laughs> As we're back to some silly B-movie amazingness, and that is Time Cop. Woohoo! I love Time Cop. I, maybe this is the sort of thing where you have to grow up at a certain age in the nineties to appreciate some of these movies. But Time Cop, I love Time Cop. It's probably my I favorite love, uh, Van Damme I love movie. Van Damme movies, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like a, a number of them, but this is probably my favorite one. Maybe it's because it's Jean Claude Van Damme crossover with science fiction that I just well, yeah. Plus, it's it's sort of peak him. You get like everything you want from Van Damme. You get a fantastic mullet. You get the splits to avoid electrocution. <laughs> yeah, you get the future of 2004, and then you get this idea of time police where he goes back in time. Yeah. And, but then, of course, it becomes very important to his own backstory, and some, maybe he'll get to change stuff from his past. Uh, yep. The bad guy is extra slimy. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he's proper yuppie. Great stuff. Um, Plus, it's a movie with, you know, blank cop. <laughs> The title playing cop, those are always going to be fun because you know you're dealing with a loose cannon. Of course, yes. <laughs> uh, and in this case, being a loose cannon means, you know, go to a different time period. Like time one travel. Tra- yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of <clears throat> fun elements to it. You get different time periods, obviously, in the, in the, in the plot, <laughs> but... Um, like the movie doesn't hide what it is. I mean, no. even from the title, you know exactly what you're getting and it delivers everything you want you know we, we talked about demolition man already uh, it's kind of like that you know you see stallone snipes they look kind of silly on the poster they're gonna fight but this one i think delivers on the actual fighting and the action mm-hmm. and <clears throat> the comedy of taking john claude van damme seriously and, <laughs> and uh, there is heart to it the heart maybe doesn't come off as as well as like other films but He's a family man, after all. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, like the like him constantly being upset about his dead wife and like you know like that subject every time it comes up, and then obviously it's time travel. So this idea that he maybe he'll get to see her again via time travel, and they're not supposed to do anything. To, you know, they're not going to go back and like do it, change their own past, or visit themselves, or and like that. Oh, it's just business. But of course, the, the the plot gets to the point where no, the villains are kind of involved and blah 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 blah. So, like, I don't know. I think Time Cop's a really fun movie, and I think uh, it doesn't quite have to. St- like, I think Demolition Man has bigger stars in it. Like, Stallone is a bigger star than Jean Claude Van Damme. There is no dispute in that. And Stallone yeah. is more talented as well in general, just in the sense that not only is he probably a bit of a better actor, he's also written and directed movies and stuff like that. So he's obviously just a higher threat. And like Mia. Sarah, oh, I say that is from Ferris Bueller. She's in this as the wife. Yes, um, that's right. Like she's nice and all, but she's no Sandra Bullock. Okay, so Demolition Man has the better cast, easy. But mm-hmm. this movie, I actually think, like you said, 
is a complete package where everything I want from it, it nails. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I'd say Demolition Man does the one thing, you know, the, the charisma and personality of the characters being really funny is better than the elements in this movie. But the other elements in that movie let it down a little bit. Whereas this is like, no, no, no. You want him doing cheesy one-liners when he kicks people for a kill shot. Um, yep. You know, you you want him making all these weird threats. You want a yuppie villain who's got the greasy hair slicked back. He's got the beard. He's like Ellis. It's basically Ellis from Die Hard, but it's not him, the actor. I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't no. think it is. Uh, but he could be Ellis from Die Hard. That's what he feels like. <laughs> <laughs> This is one we actually did in the show, but we did it as a bonus episode. So if you're a Patreon member, a YouTube member, uh, you can go back and check out that review. That was before we knew what the bonus episodes were going to be. So if we were to do it now, it would be on the regular channel. Probably, but, probably. Hey, be. Now it's behind the paywall. <laughs> yeah, you, you can go check it out. It's there. So yeah, uh, there you go. That is, uh, let's take it up. Uh, all right, what's next? Number 16 is uh, one of my favorites, and I, I actually just rewatched it uh, a couple days ago, and that is Starship Troopers, a much misunderstood movie <laughs> from Paul Verhoeven about a mm-hmm. future, much like Strange Days, that is very militarized, and uh, it, it's very... Um, it's a it's a future that's been flipped flipped on its head a little bit, where... You know, the, the people who are running the schools are all patriots. Um, uh, people who deserve citizenship have to serve in the military. Um, the Earth in this future is uh, currently at war with Clindathu, which is an insectoid planet. Um, and we follow our lead character, of Casper uh, Van Diem, uh, Rico, Johnny Rico. <laughs> and um, him choosing to serve to get citizenship, to gain respect of all the teachers that he's grown up with. And um, also Denise Richards is in it, and she's following a similar path. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting look at our future if <laughs> if it was a fascist state where um, they were the ones that were the heroes. <laughs> I appreciate what the movie is. Obviously, you fought for this because this is the one you love. Um, uh, this, yeah, this is obviously going to be yeah. much higher on my own personal list. Yeah, we, we reviewed this. I can appreciate what it's doing, but I just don't feel anything for it in the same way that I do for Verhoeven's other films that I enjoy. So, you know, like, I respect that, you, you know, you, you got it at 16. Yes, I did. My contractual <laughs> obligation to acknowledge it has been fulfilled. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to, to represent the masses here because I think most people agree that this movie is brilliant. It's stupid. Like on the surface level, it's a stupid action film, but it's actually very layered and very deep. And there's a lot going on here that I think is incredibly smart. I, I don't dispute any of it, really, because it's for Hoven. And I, I get what he's doing when I watch it. I just, I, I think other, other films that he's made can make the same sort of satirical points but also give me a character to root for whereas inherently because Starship Troopers has fallen all these assholes that are in the fascist regime but they're so beautiful (laughs) (laughs) just makes me hate them more okay (laughs) not me I love beautiful people yeah there's some nice shower scenes where they get naked that's 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 all I remember yeah but it's only tops (laughs) you you get some butts actually (laughs) I love it. I was like, yeah, but there was no full frontal. I wanted to see some Casper cock. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> if he wasn't comfortable with it, it's all right. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, number 15 is the fifth element. Uh, so this is the... We just did this recently for 90 season, but this is the bright, colorful, futuristic, flying cars version of Earth uh, with space travel included. And there's this prophecy of, like, the, the five elements coming together to stop the great evil that's this basically just big ball of evil that's coming to consume all life. And it's about trying to get to these elements and get to the, the pyramid in Egypt where, that has the, the altar to, like, fire this, um, this power that can face evil. But what it really is, in terms of how it plays out, is you've got your wisecracking comedy action hero in Bruce Willis. You've got your, your Lilu, played by Mila Jovovich, who's this, like new life form who's just learning the world and there's a lot of comedy that comes from that but there's some really fun like slick action sequences with the really good pacing it's really everything's very upbeat and you know i started off this by saying it's colorful because it really is the first thing i think about when i think of this movie it's just how bright and diverse the colors are it's not, it's not this like palette of just like you know movies will have like okay this is our color scheme like no no this movie is just like all the colors all the time as much as we can fit onto the screen but it's got a very upbeat, poppy kind of pacing and editing to it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like you can like dance to this whole movie. You it probably can, upbeat. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's some really interesting percussion going on at various points. Uh, yeah. Is like, yeah, you know, just like seeing all the things that they've packed into Corbin, which is Bruce Willis's character's like a uh, small apartment and how it all fits together. And, you know, the the shower like moves up to reveal the fridge and vice versa and mm-hmm. <laughs> like the bed turns around or slots into the wall and then you, the counter comes out to make like is, everything's very is there just a, a really like nothing about it isn't necessarily realistic and that's not the point of this future the point of this future is just to have fun with the design and that's really what it nails but you know i mentioned those the two leads but you've also got ian Holm, you got gary oldman uh you know people may not want to mention chris tucker some people think he's annoying in the movie and that's a fair point because he is very loud but there's a very strong like overall cast in this movie even a small role for luke perry at the start funnily enough yeah yeah so uh it really is kind of a big like bombastic uh i remember um like going to the cinema to see this and i remember being annoyed because i had to go see something else like the week before and i wanted to see this instead um, I so you had to wait a whole week. I, I had to wait a week. Well, it's not just that. It's like I had to go see a movie that I didn't want to see as much, and so the entire time I was like, "Why am I watching?" I don't know. You can probably hear like the walls vibrating <laughs> from the theater next to you for <laughs> the all the giants. Like, why, uh, why, Chris why, Tucker why, moments, probably. Yeah, I, I don't even know what it was. Something nice. Why am I watching 101 Dalmatians where I could be watching Fifth Element <laughs> or something like that? I don't know what was that, but something like that. Uh, so yeah, it's probably around the right time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, brings a smell to my face, and I think th- I think again the pacing and the energy. There's just so much energy in this movie at all times. Yeah. Uh, and it holds up quite yeah. well because it uses a nice mix of practical miniature CG, you know. Yeah, lots of great puppetry as well. Yeah, some really cool designs with the aliens. I love the ones in the in the beginning where they're kind of like duck turtles, but they're oh, the big <laughs> bulky also, ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they have to like waddle and stuff, and I, but they look kind of machine. It's just probably just like a whatever they're wearing, but they they look very cool. And it's uh, that European influence in the art, I think that. Well, it's different, right? So yeah. it's something new, and it makes it look a bit more alien than what we are used to. Um, yeah. 
Although I, I think that the the guys that look a bit like frogish almost remind me of other aliens that we've seen. Even kind of uh, there's something again kind of a Super Mario Brother movie about them too. I would say they way, look but... almost more like bulldog esque, like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's still yeah. maybe something kind of similar, but of of that time. But it's it's still not something that we see very much anymore. Um, it's like they don't look like they belong in Star Wars. No, Although you could say that, make that comparison, or Star Trek um, for that matter. Yeah, they look very their own thing, their own style, and I do I appreciate the style of the movie a lot. I mean, the last time I watched it was when we did the review, and I was slightly down on it from the last time because, or from my memory of the movie anyway. It's not like I haven't. I mean, I know the movie so well, but if, for some reason, it went a bit down. Maybe I just had a bad day, but. Mm. In any case, I know this movie is very deserving to be on the list of the top 25 of the 90s. Uh, it's it's an epic film. Um, you know, the characters are fun. The lead characters that we get. Mm. I, I do really like Ian Holm in the film a lot, too. Multipass. Um, multipass. It's, yeah, one of the most quotable movies of the 90s, <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah, in terms of a zeitgeist kind of feel, like the, you know, people remember this and talk about it still. Yeah. Yeah, so, cool. What's next? Uh... Next is uh, number 14, and that is Fire in the Sky. Probably the only movie we'll ever review on the sci-fi show that says based on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did this early in the year. Uh, not part of the 90s season, just part of... Uh, in fact, no, it was kind of an 80s season. It was like Aliens in the 90s, right? Wasn't there a specific season we did like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we, we were doing Aliens 3 and we said, let's do Alien 90s movies. So we actually had kind of a mini 90s season at the start of the year as well. Um, yeah, the 90s were good for like alien abduction stories because that was, uh, you know, X-Files was huge yeah. in the 90s. A lot, a lot of alien it, movies and a lot un, of bad... Unsolved mysteries. <laughs> and a lot of bad cyberpunk movies. That's that's the 90s sci-fi in a, a nutshell. Well, there's some good cyberpunk movies too. I that. Mm. <laughs> We, we may disagree on that. Uh, so, no, uh, Fire in the Sky is really good. And it's a movie that's it's pretty decent, and then the last 30 minutes shoots it into the stratosphere. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a movie that messed a lot of kids up in the 90s. There's so many good practical effects, so many good, good the tone is like just like unbeatable. And again, the first like hour of it, is is solid enough it's not you know it's not amazing but it's, it's doing a solid enough job building the mystery and then the last like half hour which really sort of shows you the goods is just really well done exciting visually different and just feels like, fine yeah it's, it's just you know i said this when we reviewed it but it's basically just the perfect movie version of what you think of a classic alien abduction story to be and it just yeah there's so it. many times you get uh stories of people who make fun of it like you know mm. all those people in the cornfield getting anal probed or something you know but like this show depicts like it would be horrific <laughs> if you got, if someone like if something took you and just treated you like an experiment and um you know like it, it's just there's there's some good teases throughout the the beginning of the film too where you, yeah like it's filmed in a way where you're like that is creepy like it, it i don't know what it is i'm looking at but there's something about this that is incredibly unsettling and then yeah the payoff obviously is at the end of the film which does you're right the, the movie gets elevated because of it yeah so you know which is not to say the rest of it's not good because it's, it's perfectly fine but the last like 30 minutes just 
you know, it puts it into a different level where it just escalates everything immediately. So, it's just really great directing. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Fire in the sky. Number 13 is Tremors. The uh, Kevin Bacon movie from the start of the decade, uh, which is a big game of lava where they can't touch the floor because if they touch the floor, their footsteps will vibrate and the monsters that are underground, the graboids, will come and get them. And that's the basic premise of this movie. It's a desert town out in Nevada, I want to say. And as a result, it's good fun. Uh, yeah, perfection the vast right the town's called perfection you're right uh but you know so there's a lot of them like on top of like the one little like store that's in the main street of the town they're on the roof or they're up yeah this poles is like the or... smallest of small desert yeah. towns like, i don't even know if there's like a road that goes through it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got like bright characters you've got obviously the main couple of characters um you know fred ward and kevin bacon but then you've also got like a, a nice concoction or of like you know supporting characters they're all kind of fun they're memorable enough that like you know who they all are the action is all done really well where you you get the geography of where everyone is because mm-hmm. it's so important to the film working that you know it is, it is kind of in many ways the perfect b movie uh and, i think so you know, I, if you tell me like list the best the b movie i would probably go with tremors like tremors just feels right it's a monster movie that's taken seriously all the characters are likable and the one that you don't like you're not supposed to like um, it's just a simple concept, like you said, floor is lava, and the monsters are cool. Like, the Graboids are a really cool design. Uh, why they're there? Whatever. Um, <laughs> makes no difference. We have to fight them. And the tail's um, perfect, because of the yeah. vibrations of the ground. Tremors. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, I love... Uh, I think Kevin Bacon is, is so likable. And Fred Ward, too. They're both just such... They've got great chemistry. Um, the, the lines don't feel, you know, written. They, they just feel natural. And I think uh, Kevin Bacon trying, and Fred Ward trying to escape this tiny town that they live in, they can't make enough money to do anything, um, is cute. And then they're literally, like, trapped <laughs> by the monsters that live in this town. Um, yeah, and the, they yeah. do, like, sewage stuff, right? So they're getting covered in shit and things like that. They just do handyman work, yeah. right? So, like, whatever's needed, they'll do it. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a thing early on where Kevin Bacon gets covered in some shit because he's trying to fix... Definitely, yeah. 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 I think they're they're trying to I I think they are like actually removing the waste from the uh from the tank. Aye. Yeah. Um, so the super irritating cast, but just the premise is just so strong because it's just it's you know I I love nothing more than the problem solving of trying to get around what the villain is and in this case it's like okay, here's the rules. They're simple. They can hear you if you walk in the ground. You mm-hmm. have to be quiet. So it presents with all these rules, so it's a lot of problem-solving of getting around that. And even the sequel, uh, which isn't good enough to be on this list, but the first sequel is still pretty solid and presents yeah. some new rules to play with. But that's what I like about this so much, is that you understand the rules of an audience and the characters have to think of ways to get around it and how can we, like, explore their weaknesses, or explore, exploit their weaknesses, I should say. How can mm-hmm. we get around them? All that stuff is super fun to me uh so seeing it seeing a truck get buried into solid yeah. ground is also a pretty awesome uh, you've got thing to see <laughs> you've got those the girl from jurassic parks uh and lex yeah. and there's a it's not d wallace but i thought it was d wallace not d wallace yeah yeah <laughs> she'll always be known as not d wallace she's not d wallace that's exactly who she is so yeah no good fun time uh what's next oh boy 
Now I see why you wanted the. I see why you wanted the evens now. Like I'm, I'm looking at some of the things that <laughs> are on the like evens. More of my choices are on the evens. Yeah. Somehow, somehow that happened. I don't know how, but on you go. Uh, Star Trek: First Contact. Oh, um, I do obviously. I love First Contact. Uh, when that the movie came out, and it was still not okay to tell people you were a Trekkie, but at least like it got. <laughs> It was good enough that more people who were not comfortable maybe watching a science fiction movie with Star Trek because they don't like Star Trek or whatever, but were like, oh, this looks like a good action movie in space. Like, we'll go see that. And that's exactly what it is, which is not really, which is, is probably the reason why we have an action focused Star Trek now uh, with mm. all the new TV shows and even like the J.J. Abrams movies. I think it probably started with First Contact because it was such a successful film um and it does kind of ruin the borg but you know that already kind of happened at the end of next gen and with uh voyager anyway so i accept <laughs> i accept that and um i don't blame this movie for it but it is uh we get we get um the cast that we love from next generation led by uh, captain picard on an adventure dealing with trauma which is which is an interesting thing to explore since uh, Next Generation was not serialized. So you can actually like get some like, oh, how does this trauma affect him um, going forward? Like as he gets older and as he well, has to deal with the Borg again. And it's kind of like, like uh, it's the same as the original series when they started doing, like, you know, Rathakan being a sequel to an episode is like, Mm-hmm. Oh, this is actually way more serialization than the show itself ever had. Is <laughs> because you're actually, right. you know, and don't you know? There's little bits of it in Next Gen, and there's definitely some things that you know. All, like I'm, I'm sure it's mentioned again that Picard has a flute, you know, from that one episode at some point. You know, like there's little things that will call back, but nothing. You know, it's nothing too egregious because they want each episode to function on their own. Right. They want the syndication money, so people have to watch it, <laughs> and they won't watch it if they feel like they have to start. In season one, episode one, <laughs> which is not an easy thing to plan for when you're watching it live. Um, but the, yeah, so like this is, uh, it's also a time travel movie, which is a formula that works in Star Trek almost every time. And um, it's, uh, it's fun, fun, fun Star Trek film. Love it. 10 out of 10. It's another prominent uh, part of Star Trek lore as well, though, because it's, it's literally, you know, the time travel takes us back to first contact day. So we actually get to see the events surrounding when humans first interacted with an alien race, which, you know, in yeah. Star Trek lore, the Vulcans were the first ones that they talked to. Yeah, and we get a little bit of history of what happens before then, or between now, present yeah. day, and first contact, when we, you know, go to our next stage or whatever. It, it's, uh, you know, we get more lore about the World War Three that happened, what Earth is like, and everybody's just sort of <laughs> just... Uh, kind of a scoundrel. <laughs> it's also a lesson about don't meet your heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, what's his face? Who's who's uh? James Cromwell. There you go, Cromwell. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. yeah. So oh, favorite uh, of mine. Yeah, it's been all since I watched First Contact, but it was definitely out of the next gen movies. It was definitely one that I remember enjoying the most. Admittedly, it's I, definitely the most fun. I'm very, I'm very curious to see how I feel about it when I get to it now. After uh, when I get to it and chronological order because now that i really care about the borg and i love the introduction of the borg i'm wondering if i will have more of a problem with what it does with the borg but 
when it was viewed on its own and I didn't know anything about them, it was entertaining. <laughs> yeah, the the Borg was at their best when we knew very little about them. Mm-hmm. The constant uh, dipping into the Borg, well, unfortunately, made them worse. But <laughs> plus, the Vo- like Voyager <sighs> takes place in the Delta Quadrant where the Borg are, so like there's too much of a temptation to keep using them, mm. which means the Voyager constantly has to escape the Borg like every time, and that makes them look weak also. Like the Borg just are get weaker and weaker. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. All right. Well, number 11 is Cube. Uh, just not quite making that top 10. I, I would have definitely fought for it. I was fighting for Cube a bit more than Tara was. Uh, you know, obviously you did enjoy it a lot when we talked about it. There's a lot of depth to it. Uh, but I, I do think Cube's a very special film. I love when a small, low-budget movie can like f- make it still feel much bigger by just having such good ideas. And obviously just the core concept of characters waking up in a cube, which just connects to other cubes. What is this place? How did we get here? And then the fact that, you know, half of the cubes, maybe the majority of the cubes, have got deadly traps in them, and you don't know which ones are safe to go into. We have to try and escape. But the whole thing is really about, uh, you know, it's the microcosm. In the same way Nate the Living Dead is a classic example, is like, okay, we're going to examine society by looking at these this small group of characters in a house when they're trying to survive this zombie apocalypse. This is kind of the same thing. We've got a group of characters in this weird, like, trap that... Is it aliens? Is it the government? Like, who did this? Who knows? But the way that the power dynamics present themselves and the way that certain characters take charge or don't take charge or react in certain ways, all of us examining society, which is a very science fiction thing to do. You know, it's easy to think of science fiction as spaceships and aliens and time travel and technology. But at its core, it's always about humans. It's always about how we are with each other. It's always about the decisions we make. It's always... There's mm-hmm. always Good science fiction always has a purpose behind what the characters are doing and what it's exploring. And this has that in spades. And I think one of the, one of our best conversations uh, we've had this past year was in that Cube episode when we were talking about like what, what those characters represent and what it gets, gets to. Yeah, I, I think that's the strongest part of the film for me is definitely the archetype characters, which are very purposely in this film to be mm-hmm. very, you know, archetype. <laughs> Arch- and, uh, archetypical is the word you're looking for, I think. Yeah, I don't like saying typical at the end of... Like, I don't like stereotypical. It sounds like a it sounds like a bad word. I don't know. I don't like using that word. I don't think I meant... I don't mean it in a bad way. It's just... I think no, no. I just sound, no it's, it's not like a bad word as in like, oh, that's nasty. It's, it's like a bad word. Like, it just doesn't flow off the tongue right. I don't like it. There's some... some, okay. some like, I don't like the word mouth. Because <laughs> it sounds like mouse, but you, like, said it wrong. Youthful... Ugh. <laughs> Some words I just don't like. Uh, I don't like uh, archetypical or stereotypical either. Yeah, bad words. But anyway, I like the archetypes of the characters in this in this movie and how they're used and how they're kind of flipped on their head a little bit. Yes, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. a lot of, some of the acting's not, you know, not great. up to the best <laughs> standards, but it actually doesn't negate from the film that much. Uh, if um, I, had to... I think our main guy kind of negates a little bit because of the acting because he, okay. he gets real eye acting at one point he does <laughs> I, maybe this is one of those things where though I've just seen it so many times over the last like 15 years or so that like I can't imagine it been anyone but him so there's a charm to it for me now when, when I see him do yeah. the overacting like I, okay. I just kind of I'm endeared to it like it was the first time I had seen it yeah so yeah, just the the stereotypical words coming out of his mouth. 
just <laughs> <laughs> I like how many of these words that Tara doesn't like can I strain into one sentence hey I'm totally fine with moist moist is a great word sure, sure I have no problem with moist but uh, that is a moist chocolate cake later that's one of the the words that most commonly seem to just be randomly disliked by people yeah I don't get it yeah you know problem. exactly what moist means. It's like it's uh, what it, what is it when like the is, the word sounds like what it uh, is. Now? Is that onomatopoeia? Onomatopoeia. Yeah, yeah. Moist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not onomatopoeia. Maybe that's more like um or something <laughs> or crash is probably onomatopoeia. Well, I think that stuff like uh, whiff whiff is on because it's you say it's okay, a whiff, yeah, but it's yeah. also literally the the sound that you're describing. Clank kind of sounds like the sound. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've put us on like a weird tangent here, all because I you're don't like. I really want to talk about Cube anymore. <laughs> Cube's great, damn it! But we can move on. Cube's fantastic. I highly recommend it. All um, right, top ten, top ten. We're starting off with a banger. Yes, we're start we're starting off with a movie that Tara fought for. There would be nowhere near the ten if it was me making the choices. Contact, contact, <laughs> baby. We've made first. We made first contact, and now we're on contact. And I, I obviously it's a very special movie to me. I watched this movie like four times in the theater, and I was very young when it came out. Um, I just I loved seeing um, Jodie Foster play Eleanor Arroway. Um, just this brilliant woman in like a man's world although that's not really the point of the film she's just written so well um i think this is my favorite of the um who's the director, Back uh, to Future director. robert zemeckis robert zemeckis right this is my my favorite movie of his because it just speaks to me plus it's written by carl sagan another you know personal hero of mine um i i, I think some of the the storytelling in this, it doesn't really hit a lot of people, but it is a very personal film to me. Like, it hits me very well. Um, and just her just her being so right for everything that's happening, you know, and being the right person for the job. And uh, um, just the world around her, <laughs> just not taking her, not listening to her, not taking her seriously. And she's right, you know. And I love... Um, the the big dreams that the 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 movie offers and um how how people are able to break through and achieve them and the uh the sci the sci-fi in the movie i think is incredible i mean just the the scene and the sound design of that signal coming in the, for the first time is is so heavy and weighty and uh beautiful it's just and um everything that happens after that of course is very exciting um, the third act is uh, also just inc- incredibly exciting. Um, yeah. In many ways, it's the, it's the prototype for a <laughs> superior film that came years later called Cosmos. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't need <laughs> Sean. Cosmos is a fine little film. It's, uh, it's, nice, it's, it's a good try movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I like content. I appreciate a lot of what it's doing. I understand why you love it. I don't think all of it clicks for me as much as i would i would like you know there's definitely some elements to it that don't land for yeah. me but your con- look, i think your contact is coming up in a little bit honestly. oh sure 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 <laughs> uh but I, I appreciate a lot of what it is and obviously i like the director i like the the actors i mean zemeckis don't get me wrong this is definitely viewing slightly into his sentimental trend which i'm not as into but that's it i would i'd put this above forrest gump forrest gump is, is an overrated uh movie <laughs> i'm just gonna 
Yeah, I like Forrest Gump. It gets a lot of hate, but and whatever. Like, it's definitely a fun movie. Maybe it, I'm missing the thing that people hate about it, but I heard it described recently. But I can't remember who said this. But I heard it described. It's Ready Player One for people who watch the news, huh. and and that's a very accurate that, description yeah. of Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah, it, you're right. Like it, it's a it's a boober movie for yeah. sure. Uh, <laughs> so you know, it's, it's, but anyway, the point I make is because Zemeckis has got this really sentimental kind of like thing that he does a lot you know he's done it in some of his animated movies um after this he went to do castaway and all things like that um what's funny is that i actually think one of his stronger movies uh that came out more not sci-fi but he did a movie with denzel washington called flight uh which is a really yeah, generic it's a really generic sound title it's a bad title but it's a great movie uh the movie yeah the movie's pretty solid so you know, it's about this this you know alcoholic pilot who is it's like him and how like how low he's willing to go to like save his reputation when he's really should be guilty about something and i won't for a second spoil it but that third act when the moment finally hits you know the moment at which i won't say what it is but when that mm-hmm. moment hits it is so fulfilling it's yeah. like a Honestly, it's probably moment. my second favorite um denzel movie performance anyway maybe oh, not performance, movie, but performance. Sure. i mean yeah. crimson tide is the best sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you're saying i i you know i like so i, I appreciate contact i think it's a, a really solidly made movie and it's got a great cast and all the rest of it but i i don't think everything in it lands as well for me as it obviously does for you so i for me it's always been kind of in that like seven out of ten kind of well it's obviously for you is way higher but you mm-hmm. know that's cool that's cool there you go but you fall for it you got to into that top 10 hell yeah so there it is contacts there uh, yeah, it was you know it was easy. It was an easy list to make. I think you know we didn't really fight that much. <laughs> People can go and view the evidence, so they can see. Uh, there may have been tears at one point. Oh, did you get that worked out? <laughs> Look, Tara was starting crying before we even got to like the real debate part. <laughs> I was not crying. Silent, <laughs> you were crying. <laughs> I was laughing. Like, honestly, I think there was some sort of, like, weird, like, I'm going to cry, so Peter will just give me whatever slots I want. (laughs) It kind of worked. (laughs) I stood my ground, damn it. All right. Number nine, Gattaca. Phenomenal science fiction film starring Ethan Hawke, Emma Thurman, Jude Law, Xander Berkeley, Alan Arkin. There's a whole bunch of names, right? But... Ernest Borgnine, who's yeah, also in yeah. Soldiers. True. And he's also <laughs> in something... Uh, he's in, like, so much stuff. <laughs> it was something... It's, it's Okay, this isn't out yet, because we've, we've recorded them all in advance, but he's in one of the movies... I think he's in the bonus movie we do for 70s Disaster Season on Collector's Cut. That uh, makes sense. Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. I think he's in that one. Um, but he... Anything you watch from the 70s has a very high likelihood of having yeah. Ernest Borgnine in <laughs> he's got a chance to be there but uh, th- this movie is such good strong thoughtful science fiction and it's so weird that the director whose name i can't even remember from the top of my head like he hadn't really gone to do like a whole bunch of other movies like it's it's, it's so weird that, at least for me personally it's like this one hit wonder but it's such a one hit like it is such a hit because it's it's thoughtful what a wonder. It's, it's set in this near future where everyone like they, they can predict kind of like the likelihood that you're going to get you know certain diseases or die at a young age so people have babies that are genetically modified to be healthier and it creates this new form of discrimination where people who you know have a risk of maybe getting an illness at, you know a relatively early age 
They just won't get good jobs. They'll get crappy jobs. They won't get a chance to like live out their dreams. So the whole movie is about people, the, the right of a human being to try and succeed mm-hmm. and the determination. It's like a whole new uh, class system that's been introduced because yeah. of the science fiction element. But of course, like all science fiction, it's about the class systems that we already have. It's, the mm-hmm. whole point of it saying that, no, the, the people in the real world that don't get opportunities because of it, these arbitrary reasons, it shouldn't be this way. And we're going to explore it by doing it through the science fiction lens. Um, it's got fantastic music. Uh, it, it's a great looking movie. It's this very slick near future. And uh, it's very heartwarming. And, you know, when we did it for the show not too long ago, because we did it in the 90s season, like I found myself getting a little teary eyed. Uh, like a, a random moment I did not expect, but it hit so hard on this, you know, probably like seventh viewing or whatever it is I'm at at this point. Uh, but it worked really hell. There's just a really kind of like, like, you root for the character because it's unfair and you know him sort of cheating the system in the future which is what the movie's about it's about this character who's not supposed to have all these rights is sort of tricking the system uh to try and like achieve his dream of going to space but he's not allowed to be an astronaut because he might get sick and die <laughs> so yeah excellent uh, Gattaca is yeah obviously it's an excellent excellent uh, science fiction movie that explores it's an allegory for what's going on today, of course, but it's a it's it's a great movie about kind of like contact, you know, having a dream and then people telling you no <laughs> and breaking through that, like exceeding expectations, exceeding past uh, ableism and uh, classism and um, yeah, like obviously the people who can afford to have uh, their their. DNA modified by uh, uh, the, these geneticists before they have a child um, are clearly uh, the the ones that are superior <laughs> yeah. in the in the society's view. So uh, there's a bit of uh, classism when it comes to um, you know like a, just general class, like a, who's rich and who's poor. And you know, I think it's funny that Ernest Borgnine kind of represents the the janitors, like they got him to to be it because he's not a good looking guy i mean he's he's a fine gentleman but or he was but he's uh he's a funny looking guy he's a character actor <laughs> what is it? they definitely didn't select that from the genes like okay big yeah. face uh, just, just to uh <laughs> just the tease uh wait no it cannot be beyond the poseidon adventure could that be i'm sure it was on a boat but isn't he in poseidon adventure yeah i think it's just regular poseidon adventure honestly yeah 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 yeah, it's just a regular percent adventure. Yeah. Well, as it happens, that's coming out on New Year's Eve for everyone. Whoa. So I look forward to it. So exciting. But there's a really funny moment in that movie where he, uh, like, just there's this big dramatic scene with him and his wife, who used to be a prostitute, and he's a cop, and they go into mm-hmm. all this backstory and this really over-the-top scene. I'm like, but what is the writing in this scene? They're just, like, spouting <laughs> all this, like, dramatic exposition to each other. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. But anyway, look out for that review. It's good, good, good fun. Um... So yeah, uh, that was number nine. What's next? <laughs> number eight is probably the most rewatched movie for me on this. Uh, there might be one more. Galaxy Quest. Which, amazingly, we've still not done on uh, the show. Is that true? Yeah, we've still not done it. I've definitely watched it like six times <laughs> when we since we started The Ace. <laughs> that's fair, but we have not discussed this movie yet. Uh, so that's definitely coming up at some point. But uh, I think for someone who grew up as uh, in a family of trekkies who would like 
occasion not often but we did go to a couple of like trek conventions and stuff the, the movie just opens so strong like it, it evokes that feeling of like you're watching this corny science fiction show but it really means a lot to to people like like sure like we know it's not real but like mm-hmm. it's it's just fun. It's fun to, sure. to, to dream, you know? You know the, I think the best thing about this movie, all on just how witty and funny and how it plays in all the tropes are and how it obviously the actors in the film are parallels. You know, Tim Allen's character is very much like a play on Shatner and like how much of a douchebag oh, yeah. he can be. But my favorite thing about the film and the reason why I think it works beyond just being a comedy is that it feels like at first it's going to be quite cynical about mm-hmm. fandom and about the attitude towards fans. But ultimately, like, the meta-narrative of the whole film is that is how important this sort of thing is to fandom and how fandom is, like... It's really heartwarming by the time it gets to the end, I think, about kind of the points it makes and, like, you know, believing the in fans, the magic yeah, again. Yeah, it's, it's the fans that, you know, they have to rely on in the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> on a literal sense it is, but I just, even just in broad strokes, though, about believing in the magic of it and, like, even, you know, sure, Alan yeah. Rickman's whole thing in the movie is that he hates this character. He hates having to say that one line that got him famous from the show. But at a certain point, he wants to say that line. Because it's not just the humans in the film, it's the aliens who think it's real too, that then they also have to live up to be these heroes for. And that's got heartwarming. So, you know, like, there's a lot but to yeah, it. What, what a payoff to that setup, though, right? Oh, yeah, you know, the payoff the is final great, yeah. time that you say the line, where he still he's always believed that it's stupid and not real, but he just he believes that it means so much to this person that he, he's able, that he says it for them. And it, it's a, it's a heartwarming and heartbreaking moment. Yeah. So um, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot yeah. more heartwarming elements to it because of that. And uh, so it's, it's got a lot going for it. And the, the fact that this movie turned out to be so good when it was supposed to be R rated and was cut down to like remove the swearing and stuff, like as a couple, and there's a couple of little remnants yeah. of it that you can notice <laughs> if you're paying attention. But you don't have to pay attention that hard. <laughs> but it is kind of funny that, like, even with that, like, it didn't matter because ultimately everything that makes the film good was still there. And sure, would I love to see like an R-rated cut just to see what it was like before they did this? Sure, it'd be it'd be fascinating. It'd be funny to see. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't think it makes or breaks it clearly because the movie ends up being so excellent anyway. This is one of these things where I saw it and probably thought it was funny as a, a kid. But seeing it again a little bit later when I understood the, what I was making fun of and also just getting some of the jokes better because I'm older. Yeah. It just it landed so well. Like, the yeah, entire joke... struck a chord with me. Yeah, the entire joke that uh, Sam Rockwell's character is a red shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't get that the first time I watched it. But watching that after, like, knowing some Star Trek and knowing what a red shirt is made his entire char- character hilarious the entire time. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody represents somebody that you know from the franchise like uh, like you talked about alan rickman before i mean even he's a spark um, yeah he's the uh, even leonard nimoy like he wrote a book saying i'm called i am not spock and then wrote another book later saying uh, that was called i am spock you know so he's (laughs) even had this back and forth journey (laughs) obviously taggart the actual taggart (laughs) yeah yeah is um (laughs) is shatner (laughs) and all of his all of the shatner tropes are there do you, um, do you know what I think is funny about that, that Leonard Nimoy book thing? Is that it's almost like, uh, if you compare it to the OG book, If I Did It, it's like he wrote a book <laughs> later saying, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, does he even need to write that book? <laughs> it doesn't, no. I, and that's, that's the other thing, is that Tim Allen is so perfectly cast. I don't really like Tim Allen that much, and I've just re-watched all the Santa Claus movies. I say re-watched, I've only seen the first uh-huh. one before, right? 
T- Tim Allen, I don't think is that great. I think he's got a really specific, you know. So he was a comedian that yeah. became an actor. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I don't think he like he's there's a lot of Tim Allen isms that I don't think really work. But as a douchebag like take on like William Shatner, he is perfect, perfect. for this role. It yeah. works so well. I highly recommend the documentary about the making of uh, 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 yeah. Galaxy Quest. Also, I watched it too. And, yeah. um, I think it's. Uh, it's, it's you, you get so much backstory about like who they were considering for the role and, and you, the names that people that they pop off to i can't really remember them but like i remember being like whoa what would that would have been like but like also i he's perfect so like why why yeah. consider anyone else yeah and it's funny though that he was not even close to the first choice <laughs> no, like so many people passed on it <laughs> that's so funny oh uh. God, anyway, I mean, fantastic ob- film. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the the get would have been to actually get Shatner to do it, but he probably wouldn't have wanted to. <laughs> would they even offer it to him though? Probably I don't know. Not. It'd be kind of it'd be kind of weird too old anyway. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Um, but even like you know, like the little thing to do at the end, which I won't spoil, but it it, it kind of makes me think of the next generation as a thing. Like you know, it came back for another thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, it's not a one to one. Well, there's the next gen in this too. Like even um, Laredo is sort of like the Wesley Crusher, like the boy wonder that is there, so the kids can have someone to identify. Yeah, with. yeah. The kids' audience, you know. I think yeah, put in a kid. <laughs> I'd say it's got more original series like actors in it, but there's definitely a few next gen little things that that squeak in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no. Uh, but yeah, Galaxy Quest is great. It's great. It's great on its own anyway. But it's really great if you understand the Star Trek tropes that it's making fun of. But it's also a heartwarming love letter to to fandom, fandom. and what, and what yeah, yeah what, what like stuff means to the people who care about it. Uh, so, yeah. By all means, uh, Galaxy Quest. All right, number seven is Total Recall, which is a Paul Verhoeven film. Uh, with old Arnie in, in the in the lead role, uh, and the the manipulation of memories to make him think he's been on this 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 trip, but something goes a little bit wrong, and all of a sudden all these bad people are after him, so he has to get his ass to Mars, which is you know in this future is normal. Like there's a colony on Mars. Uh, this was a film that I always liked as a kid, but not never as much as some of Arnold's other films. And, well, I still like Robocop more than Total Recall, and I still obviously like Terminator more than Total Recall. When we did this for the show, I really did sort of go, you know what, this is much better than I remember, my memory, like, had it at. Like, this is a really solid movie. Yeah, this is more than just three boobs. It's more than just three boobs, yeah, which I think is what in your memory you've been thinking. I I think in my memory it was three boobs and it was Arnold's face, like like the weird eye popping, Uh, and like, you know, when he. This is the best Arnold face movie. (laughs) Which is not what happens when you would suffocate in like an atmosphere that's not breathable. No, but it doesn't matter. Mars isn't actually red, also. But that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, but you got Michael Ironside in here uh, as well in a very memorable role. Same with Ronnie Cox. Again, another uh, Robocop actor popping yeah. up. Um, so What a cast. You got the Stratagema guy from Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got, you got a lot of faces. Uh, obviously, Sharon Stone's in there as well. Um, but again, it's got, it's got a lot of that humor that you expect in an Arnold movie because he's got his one-liners and he's got his, uh, you know... There's, so much yeah satire of the Verhoeven the, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff of the, the quality of something about seeing someone at a party uh Richter 
<laughs> like there's a lot of great moments in this movie and I, I, I don't think it's as biting in terms of like, I think the reason why I'd say Robocop's a better movie because I think Robocop's satire is more on point and I think it's more heartwarming as well with its lead character but this movie is so full of ideas and just like the the sets of Mars the trip to Mars the the memorable characters and villains especially that sort of come out and then kind of the the, the the swerves and twists in the story. Even like the underbelly characters that we get, you know, for the people just trying to survive. And I know you just uh, meant underbelly. Yeah, as in like the... You, the, you know what I mean. Yeah, but there's, there's literally an underbelly character <laughs> that's worth mentioning as well at one point. Oh, it's so gross. Uh, yeah. It's so awesome. <laughs> uh, but you, you also have, um, like, even the ending... Like, when me and Tara reviewed this, and it's a, I think it's a pretty solid episode of The Ace to go back and check out, because we actually disagree still as to what's going on in the movie, because it is actually... It's, it's, I think it's open enough that it's one or the other. And I think my arguments as to why it's not what Tara thinks is stand-up still, but... Uh. You can go back and Sorry, check man. out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid you're wrong. <laughs> I think you'll find that you're incorrect on this one, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> I beg to differ. Oh man, movies don't fade to white. <laughs> Should to try to say something specific. Uh, move, movies can fade to white if they want to. It's a stylistic touch. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I stand by it. Anyway, um, so yes, Total Recall is very good. I agree. Like the the uh, the Verhoeven sci-fi trilogy is um, any one of them could be my favorite one. Fun, fun, uh, fun, uh, <laughs> Honestly, I think it's Jerry Goldsmith does the score. It's got a fun score as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and great action in the movie too. Oh yeah, like when they're fighting through like, the uh, like the the X-ray like machine. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just set pieces like that. Really, really fun stuff. Which is not it's not a thing that um, existed at the time too. That was sort of like a. Yeah, using x-rays to, like, scan people in airports and stuff. That was something that was, you know, done in this movie that ended up... Being, yeah, you know, but to, to be fair, though, it's not like this movie where there's a big x-ray, like, wall where you can see them walking behind the screen the whole time. Well, they had to use special effects to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> but I think even the special effects have this charm and uh, comedic element to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they use it to the advantage of the film to it's like make a skeleton, the scene even more enjoyable. It's like a skeleton cartoon of the action playing out yeah. when they're behind that x-ray machine. It's kind of fun. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, no, I totally recall it's good stuff. And I mean, you, you argued for it a little bit higher than I did. I, I would have maybe had Galaxy Quest and Gattaca probably a touch higher than this, but um, I didn't fight you too much on it because it is actually much better than my memory uh, you know, of my youth uh, had me believe. Uh, this was, this was a pleasant sort of revisit where I'm like, you know what, this is better than I thought it was. And yeah. I, I'm happy to see that. So, The best yeah. Arnold faces and noises. A lot of that going on. Um, yes. Uh, there's also a great scene at the start where Sharon Stone's like trying to make out with them and he's too distracted by the news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't Sharon quite, Stone can wait. Yeah, I don't <laughs> believe you, Arnold. Like people say, you can't act. That is acting. <laughs> I'm going surprise, to yeah. I'm going to ignore the the woman who's about to be in Basic Instinct, right? Because this is right before Basic Instinct. <laughs> yeah, one of the most beautiful people in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ignore her because there's something on the news about Mars. Ooh, he had a calling. You nerd. <laughs> I mean, even the movie opens up where like he's asking his friend, like, "Hey, have you been to have you been to Mars?" They're like, "Oh yeah, my friend went there," or like, 
it's a shithole <laughs> like they're at war all the time uh, he's like well what about recall oh yeah my friend got his brain scrambled when he went there and still like the next thing Arnold's like oh, I think mm. we should move to Mars or I think we should go to recall <laughs> I think oh, I want to try that recall thing all, all of this is making me want to debate uh, the ending again but we can't do it no spoilers okay. all right, all right, no spoilers all right <laughs> okay number six uh, this is you you're on number six uh, number six is The Iron Giant, which is a movie I only watched for the first time this year. But you, I understand, grew up with this film. I love Iron Giant. Yeah, Iron... this is your contact. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I fought hard for Iron Giant because Iron Giant is a special film. It is maybe my favorite animated film. I'd have to think about it, but uh, maybe. It's... Iron Giant obviously has a lot of themes, which is this giant robot comes from space, befriends a young boy. So there's a little bit of E.T. in there. There's a surprising amount of Superman uh, by the time you get to, you know, later on in the film. And it's it's all about, it's one of these key sci-fi themes that always comes up is the idea of not being what you were made to be. That if you were, you know, it's something that even in like other, it's a little bit sci-fi, it's in the future, but like Logan, for example, is a moment in that film where he's like, don't be what they made you to be. Like this idea, and even Gattaca actually, right? This idea, don't, like, they, because you're not this, you have to be this. No. Don't be what the society says you have to be. You can be what you mm-hmm. want to be. Um, you can choose to be something. And that's very much what the film's about. Uh, it's very heartwarming. Um, and, you know, the, the Superman ties come in because it's directly referencing the story. And Brad Bird, there's a reason why every time someone brings up, who do you want to direct a Superman movie? I'm like, you know, Brad Bird would probably be a good choice. And there was a time when maybe that was like weird to say just after Iron Giant. But he's he did like a, the best Mission Impossible movie. He's done live action as well now. So at this point, it's like, yeah, let him do Superman. Like he can make Superman. <laughs> but he can do great action sequences. T- tell me tell me, Tom Cruise on the side of that building in Dubai is not like the best scene in like the entire franchise. Tell me it is. I mean, honestly, most scenes in the with Tom Cruise in any Mission Impossible movie, except for maybe two, make me sweat. So, I don't know. I think they're all amazing, yeah. Uh, we're not talking about who gets you hot and bothered, Tara. We're talking about good action sequences, okay? Well, I wasn't talking about that, but that, that could play a factor, actually. I, 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 I was cracking a good joke, okay? Just roll with it. Uh, no, I, like, I... Um, Stop thinking well, about Tom Cruise. I think... I mean, to be fair, no one's thinking about Tom Cruise that much that way anymore, right? He looks all right in Maverick. He's starting to look a bit like... Uh, I mean, he looks no, he looks good for his age, but he's not hes not the heartthrob Tom Cruise anymore. No, but boy, was he. And he's, he's you know, the Scientology also kind of like, you know, nears the... No, that's a different Tom Cruise. The appeal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so Iron Giant is, you know, you've you got the voice of Jennifer Aniston as the mom and stuff like that, but it, it really, it's this like classic science fiction tale. And even this idea... You've got a little bit of E.T. because you've got a kid protecting his alien friend who happens to be a giant robot. But you've also even got a little bit of, like, Day of the Earth stood still and stuff like that. You know, I, I couldn't help but think of that when you've got all the military coming to, like, deal with the giant robot. And that makes me think of Day of the Earth stood cool. still. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of classic science fiction and stuff in it. But it's just this great story, uh, which... And I get another movie I really like, How to Train Your Dragon, which came later. There's a little bit of that in there, with the befriending of the robot is a little like bef- befriending Toothless and like sticking up for your friend. So there's just there's so many like key themes in this film that I I think are are so important. I think it's a perfect movie for a kid to learn a lot of good values, if nothing else. But you have this idea of choosing to be something that is just so ingrained into the idea of it. 
and the idea that this robot and i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that the iron giant like he kind of remembers at a certain point that he was made to be like a, a kill bot like he was he was made to be a soldier and like be a part of an army and this idea that he can choose to be something else is it's very heartwarming but it's also just a, a very important like lesson for the world and for people that you can choose to be something good and why not choose to be something good and that's a very superman like thing even without referencing it, it's very superman but the fact that he's inspired by superman and sort of like hey he was an alien that came to earth and ended up being loved because he made the choices to be good and that's what the iron giant wants to do it's all very sweet but then you've got all the hijinks of like i try to hide the giant robot which is just fun to watch and like you know uh, even though he, he makes like a tremor every time he takes a footstep but he's like hiding behind trees and all mm-hmm. the rest of it so yeah fun delightful characters good old-fashioned 2d animation before things started to get too influenced by anime <laughs> with, with this type of thing uh so no i love iron giant i can't wait till we review it one day <laughs> We will. We'll review it one day. We will. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I watched it for the first time this year because I also have uh, a friend who was a young boy when the movie came out and it was like, this movie's so important. You have to watch it. <laughs> and I guess, you know, it just speaks to a very certain demographic as they're growing up. Um, but it's a good movie. I, I, I liked it for sure. <laughs> I mean, maybe uh, you'll probably be- do most of the talking. Though, maybe it's because yeah, about a young boy befriending his his toy robot that why well, speaks to boys specifically. I don't know, but like I think maybe. I think the I think the messages stand you know the test of like age and time and all the rest of it. Sure, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to go into that when we watch it. Yes, yep. excellent. All right, number five. All right, well, we finally made it to the best well, movie, uh, the oh, number yeah. one movie of the uh, list. Um, I'm doing the odd numbers. Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Calm down. You can tell Tara's excited. What's number one? Number five. Number one. Number five. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell from this preamble that Tara was fighting to get as high in the list as she possibly could. Number five is Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. Booyah! <laughs> well, this is, this is yours. You ta- you talk about it. I, 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 there's nothing I can say. What can I say about Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, other than life-changing? Um, <laughs> you, you literally get two movies for the price of one here. <laughs> here. Here's the thing. Like, growing up... I was pretty early on a film lover, even more so than t- mm-hmm. than television. Um, I I just just connected with stories, and I just I love I love movies. And I didn't know there was such a thing as like a bad movie until like the combination of this film and Ed Wood. <laughs> I think those are the things that made me realize, oh, like not there it's not just movies i don't understand yet because i'm not an adult there's actually movies that are bad i feel like that um, was building up to a punchline there you could really like swerve someone saying when i was a kid i didn't know there was bad movies until and then just insert popular movie I, that I you want to shit on i understand why that would uh, come off that way for people who haven't seen those films but those yeah. movies are a celebration of how like movies can um not quite meet expectations even though there was the best of intentions yes <laughs> but um uh, yeah, Mystery Science Theater, like, it, it came out, and I, I just watched it with my family because it was the HBO movie of the of that weekend, of Friday, and we all were just rolling. <laughs> we were just so, we were laughing so hard throughout the whole film, 
and just something changed in my brain forever where it's just like i i love this and i didn't even know it was a tv show even it was called the movie and um not too long after that my parents because we were living in canada at the time my parents are like we're moving to california (laughs) and we'll be close to disneyland yeah obviously i love disneyland but like my first thought was I'm going to get the sci-fi channel. I'm finally going to be able to watch Mystery Science Theater 2000 TV show. And it did not disappoint. I watched uh, every Sunday. That was my priority was to be able to be there for Mystery Science Theater. And um, so, yeah, obviously the movie is was the trigger for all that. It's probably the most approachable for people who like <laughs> to get into the show is to watch the movie because the jokes are pretty neutral. I'd say you don't, there's, whereas the TV show has a lot of timely jokes and a lot of jokes specific to, um, the time that the move that they're doing the commentary and just the idea of like commentary is, is pretty big because of this film for me, you know, like being able to watch a movie with people talking over it and, you know, letting you know, either making jokes or, um, like listening to commentary about people who were involved with the, you know, w- became a big thing for me too after this, where I just, I liked learning about everything that goes into films because of this. Anyway, yeah, it's a very special <laughs> movie for me, life changing. And I've, this is definitely the movie I've watched the most out of everything on this list. <laughs> yeah, I definitely discovered commentary tracks on like DVDs and stuff before I discovered Mr. Science Theater. I, well, I, some people can't even like listen to them you know they can't listen like my mother would never watch anything she didn't like mystery science theater from the beginning um because why are they talking over the movie <laughs> you know yeah well anyway, mystery science so. theater is a little bit different but a commentary track is like it's not it's not meant to be like you know if you just want to watch the movie just watch the movie the commentary track is like an extra thing where you you know you want to hear them talk about the movie and the, yeah. the movie's like a visual guide for to, to drive the conversation kind of thing anyway uh yeah i mean i have fun with it i, I, you know, I enjoy mr science theater 2000 i don't think the movie is as good as some of the better episodes of the show that i've seen and they're very comparable because ultimately it's the same thing you know it's they watch a movie and they, they crack jokes over it so inherently like, I think there's episodes that I've seen that are better than the movie, but, you know, it's a solid oh, yeah. example. Yeah, I mean, this would be, uh, yeah, my top ten would include the movie, but, like, of the science fiction movies, this is the most important one to me and the most, the, the most, I don't know, door-opening one for me, <laughs> in a way. Yes. Uh and the reason why it counts as science fiction is because the setting of Mr. Science Theater is that it's a guy on a spaceship or a space station with some robots who watch some movie and make Are fun of it. Are forced to watch yes. the worst movies ever made by a mad scientist yes. on Earth. Um, so. I, w- I would almost, like... And Tara's not going to like this. I would almost, like, say it's not a movie... Just in the same way that I wouldn't say Mr. Science Theater. It's in the title. So is, is, is not a TV show, and they're kind of their own separate medium, which is not a, an insult. It's, it's fantastic, but it's its own genre. It's its own thing entirely that's different to fictional movies and TV. You know? It's not, it's not quite, like, non-fiction because he's still, they're still playing characters doing the jokes, but it's also not, you know... Yeah, I, I think people understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, you could say that about, like, Elvira, too. Yeah, not that sure. Although she yeah. did have movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I'd say like Mystery Science Theater is closer to something like Joe Bob. Not the exact same, obviously, but it's closer to something like Joe Bob than it is 
like I don't know the wire. <laughs> well, I mean, it, there is a a, a serial uh, serialized element to the storytelling going on in Mystery Science Theater, though. True, true. There's, 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 there's running things and things change and they have little jokes about it and stuff. That's true. Especially, um, I'd say, when Mike comes in. There's a lot more of a mm. continuation when it goes to the sci-fi channel, especially. Yeah. All right, let's, let's, let's move on. What's number four? Number four is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. James Cameron has made our list. <laughs> 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 Very good. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, what do we need to say about T two at this point? T two is, you know, one of the best sci fi action movies ever made. Uh, it's got a heart to it because Terminator is a good guy bonding with the kid. Hey, a little bit of Iron Giant there in a way. Um, I definitely you, was thinking of Terminator yeah. two watching Iron Giant. You have some of the best action sequences ever filmed. You got for the time groundbreaking visual effects. You've got a great menacing villain in the T one thousand. The fire in the sky guy. Yeah, the fire Robert in Patrick. the sky guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the other way around. People were saying that's the Terminator 2 guy when they saw hey, fire in the sky. like him <laughs> in this? Yeah, what's funny is that I've been watching Peacemaker and he's in that as Peacemaker's dad and he's like a complete racist mm. asshole in it. Oh, he's also, the. Well, I guess he's like the same character then in uh, the new Perry Mason. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Interesting. But yeah, he's, he's a complete like, racist douchebag in that. Um, so it's just this... I'm, glad, I'm happy to see him because he's getting work and you know he's a, he's a solid enough actor uh, in his... Uh, is, you staring at a cat? Yeah, he's eating flowers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, T2 is fantastic. And, you know, I think T2 is amazing. Um, I think over the years I have appreciated Terminator 1 a bit more than Terminator 2, but Terminator 2 obviously... It's not only just a great movie, but it's a great sequel because of the way it plays off of a lot of things set up in T1 and sort of subverts them for the sequel in ways mm-hmm. that make the characters more interesting. You know, the, the, the plot about how Sarah Connor's becoming more of a Terminator and part of the heart of the story is that she has to like sort of like keep hold of her humanity. Like, I love that part of the movie. Uh, what a transformation. From, oh, yeah, yeah. From the first film where you're like... Even her, she's like in the first movie, which I I also think I I like a little bit more. But you know, maybe catch me on another day. But I I do think that her character in the first movie, where she's just she's so doubtful that this is the future, the end that she is this person that's going to be the the one that uh, teaches the leader of the resistance group. You know, because she's she's so soft and she's so um like kind of valley girl ish um you know she doesn't have any kind of military training or fight combat training or even survivalist training and then you see her in this movie and she's she opens up in a prison (laughs) doing pull-ups and you're like damn that's the same actress even like they're not even just the same character uh the transformation the physical transformation the character transformation like everything is, she's, she's just, barely recognizable when yeah. you first see at least there's a moment You're in like, t2 oh, i get it <laughs> there's a moment in t2 where she's like having the nightmare before the the, the park gets you know hit by the nuke and you, she sees herself like in the park and her hair's done like the first movie and she's like got a kid and she's like sort of smiling and i'm like oh i can kind of tell it's the same actress now <laughs> because this is her with the same kind of look yeah, but this this trauma and like this this world that she's preparing for because she's experienced a taste of it is just like it has turned this you know what would have been a normal idyllic life 
and living in LA and yeah, as a beautiful woman has turned her into this, uh, not, not monster, but like almost, you know, like well, she, she had, almost, she's I forced mean, to, I think part of the film is just, she does almost turn into a soulless monster. And that's kind of like a big moment. And it was one of my favorite scenes in the whole it, movie. It, it, it just sets up right away. Yeah. Like, Oh, anybody is capable of like trying to, to survive in this whatever this future is going to be so you just like you buy it and you're into it <laughs> yeah and the movie does have these central themes about humanity and like can a machine gain humanity can a human lose humanity then you know like all these things all work flawlessly together and it's actually people obviously remember it as this great action movie but it's got a lot of depth that if you stop and then we did you know when we reviewed these movies like we we sat down and talked about Terminator 2 for like two hours and it was, you know, a really in-depth conversation. And hell, I remember we were talking about Terminator 3 or 4. We started thinking of new things to say about Terminator 2. <laughs> and we're like, this is why, you know, Terminator 2 is so great because there's all these layers to it. Yeah. And, you know, Cameron has a new movie out right now, Avatar 2, The Way of Water. 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 The, the Way of Waller. <laughs> what, Amanda Waller from DC Comics is in that? I didn't realize. Who's that? She's the uh, scary woman who runs the Suicide Squad. Oh, I hate that movie. <laughs> I hated that character. <laughs> no, well, yeah. She's yeah. Definitely not in, uh, but, like, even that, going to see that movie and then us talking about it was just like, God, we just miss this type of action, right? Like, these cameras oh, yeah, yeah. just so good at filming action in a way that you you understand what's going on it's clear nothing's like the camera's not shaking all the time everything's focused and and you're just taking it all in and it's um you know obviously this movie like changed action films forever oh yeah like like everything with like arnold chasing in the bike to try and get to john connor whilst he's been chased in a big like you know tanker or whatever it is a big or a big truck with the T one thousand down the LA River, like all, all that stuff is excellent. And, you know, it's the geography. You understand where they are, and that he's trying to get to him. There's a clear goal. Like everything like, has a a function. It's not just like messy action where there's a fight going on forever, and like you can't really like you can remember every distinct part of that action sequence because it's laid out. There's a clear okay. Character A is trying to get to character B. Here's the obstacles in the way. Like everything flows and makes sense. Uh, yeah. All of his actions like that. They, everything has a constant focus and purpose at all times. Uh, and then you watch the end of Aquaman 2, and it's like, oh, there's just lots of CGI things like fighting, and I don't understand the, like, the motivations. Oh, I don't really understand. I where... watched it, but I yeah. I can't remember what happened in that movie. That's just, for whatever reason, that's become my favorite like recent like Hollywood movie like like take the piss out of when it comes to like bad action because it's just this big mess of because cg i think it was like the the it is the perfect example though right because it's yeah. just this huge blockbuster film that it's a, it's a comic book movie and it's like uh it's everything that's trending right now in the wrong direction you know yeah uh, and it's, it's probably especially perfect now that way the wars come out and it's like here's how here's how you do absurd budget <laughs> war action and effects uh yeah so all of a sudden Aquaman, like yeah, I just see James Wan sweating in a corner somewhere, like, oh no. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> he's he's Go like, back no, to your ghost movies. <laughs> I'm not the one true James. I thought I was the one true James, but I am not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Worthy. <laughs> Number three <laughs> is the Truman Show. Which uh, probably pretty high for a lot of people, right? Like, I, well, I think some people don't necessarily think of this as science fiction, but it absolutely is. Like, especially in the way that it's talking, it's using its premise to talk about, um, 
you know, society and themes and this character who is under this microscope by everyone else. And, you know, it mm-hmm. explores a lot of things. It explores, like, people as a as a property of intellectual property and the way that he's, like, owned by this TV company and how he's exploited. And, again, this idea that he, he deserves freedom like anyone else. Like, it's such a science fiction film. It's just, it's just not spaceships. It's not, you know, time travel and flashy things, but it is science fiction. And it's Peter Weir who, like Cameron, you know, is up oh, yeah. there with one of the best... I, I think he's just he just nails the um the feeling of like everything being important and real. <laughs> I don't I don't really know how else to explain it. You know, like there's something about his fil- films that feels special to me, and I, I think that uh, the I, I, character I, of Truman, even though it's played by somebody who's traditionally you just want to laugh at, is very tragic when you watch. You know, oh, and yeah. it's a. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's. I think I've mentioned this before in our reviews and other times we talk about it. But like when we watched it, it wasn't just a movie that like was ahead of its time, but like it's it's just it's aged so well. Like it gets, oh, yeah. it seems to get better with age, and as, as technology gets smarter and cameras are on everything, people like young younger generations are just like I can be a celebrity by making myself Truman. Yeah, it, it, right? yeah it, it's just gotten more relevant as time has went on, and it predicted yeah. so many like little things. Uh, even, even though it's its core concept is this big dome that's a fake world that he lives in. Yeah, that part's mm-hmm. the outrageous part. But there's so many little things in that concept that they do that do feel like they've predicted things very accurately. And Ed Harris is great as the guy who runs the show. I love the way that we all view it from his, you know, Truman's perspective. And there's that there's that really pivotal, and we talked about it a lot in the review, but there's a really pivotal point where it starts to show the other side of the world, where you see, like, mm-hmm. the control room and the moon and them running the show. And, like, like the, yeah, you literally hear him shouting directions and, like, what the yeah. actor should try and say to, like, it's get a, Truman to change his mind. in that way, yeah. too, where it's like, okay, cue the music, because, yeah, you know, yeah. the emotions are yeah, coming yeah. in. Yeah. you got to manipulate <laughs> the audience here. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's a lot of meta, there's a lot of satire in there. There's a lot of really thoughtful science fiction ideas. Uh, but Truman is this very likable character who you want to see, uh, like, break out of his prison that he's effectively in. And that that's a really strong narrative on its own. But then there's all the meta things that if you're trying to, like, think about it and study all the, the themes and all the little nuances that are going into it, there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff to talk about. And there's some of it's really in your face and funny, like the product placement. You know, one of my favorite gifts to share uh to people is is that moment where truman like the wife like says something about the coffee beans that she's holding and he just Mm -hmm. goes who are you talking to (laughs) like like i love that gift because i use it all the time because it's perfect to just like you know so i there's just so many moments that are really funny but not in the way i think when i was a kid and i saw it and i'm sure i said this in the review but when i was a kid Mm -hmm. i saw it i'm sure i was disappointed in it because i was expecting like ace ventura 3 or whatever and it's not that it's a very different film but i actually think it's funnier than those movies because it's like Mm -hmm. everything like is funny because it's there's thought behind it like when he's sitting in the travel agents and there's all these posters that are that are designed to try and make him not want to travel so it's like a plane getting struck by lightning (laughs) and just all these little details in the scene like yeah, they've made Excellent. him afraid of water. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's on an island. <laughs> Tr- Truman Show is fantastic. Like, it is yeah, an excellent it, film. It was definitely a, a really great uh, revisit for, the, for that. Oh, movie. this was your total recall. This was where you, you just you went back and went, oh, wait, this is even better than I thought. Well, I mean, I'm a few, I'm a few years older than you, and th- I think this came out at a time where we were at, you know, where th- that difference met, was quite a lot, you know, because I think I was like 12. 
and you would have been like eight or something. Yes. <laughs> I think that's about right. So, um, yeah, so I think I'm already at the point where I can just like, appre- I appreciate uh, more more drama in films than maybe you're like, but like he's not talking with his butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I was just I had, a bit like, too young. I had like a free Truman pin that I wore to middle yeah. school all the time. So it, I definitely liked the movie a lot when I it saw was, it, but uh, I appreciate it way more now. Because it was the year after this that Man in the Moon came out and it was Truman Show and Man in the Moon that I saw again in my late teens or whatever and went, wait a minute, these two movies are really good. It's just at the mm-hmm. time I was like too young and was expecting a Jim Carrey comedy. And yeah. now I prefer these those two movies to any of the comedies that he did. <laughs> well, I mean, talking with your butt is a classic also. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing is funnier than uh, Ace Ventura 2 when, when when nature calls when he has to be burst out of that mechanical rhino in so, front of that family yeah, <laughs> yeah. well the first Ace Ventura is aged quite badly there's a lot of really dated oh, things oh in yeah it. yeah like, definitely there's, there's, there's especially there's, the trans stuff yeah it's really aged <laughs> the second one in, in turns actually held up better because it doesn't have I mean I'm sure there's some stuff in it that maybe is dated a bit but like nothing on the level of the trans stuff in the first one. Oh, I was always a huge fan of the second movie over the first one I mean he, the movie starts with him eating bad poop over all the time, so. yeah what's funny is I saw Ace Ventura when Nature Calls like at least a decade before I saw Cliffhanger which the entire opening is what it's like parodying yeah. but you know whatever <laughs> so uh, no but Trevor Show is excellent like Trevor Show I cannot recommend it enough uh, top to bottom it is, is a fantastic film uh, yeah so alright number two um, in the movie that made me a, a movie fan like fan fan Jurassic Park you knew it was going to be here, right? Like, yeah, my, the first movie I ever saw in a theater. This was my first cinema trip. was Jurassic wow. Park. Very cool. I was four I years old. Back to the Future when she just had me, I think. so. <laughs> She's like, I, I have a newborn, but I'm not missing it. <laughs> I get my movie love from my mom. Yes. I, f- I, f- I feel like some people in the cinema might have not been pleased with your mother's uh, for that choice. <laughs> uh, I was probably just attached to the boob the whole time. <laughs> Can't really say that I experienced the movie. Of course. But yeah. it was delicious, I'm it sure. Doesn't, it doesn't count. That doesn't count as your first movie in the theater. Because <laughs> you were, you're probably looking at the screen most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Obviously, Jurassic Park is like, it's a seminal film for anyone in our generation for a start. Uh, this is our Star Wars, right? This is the movie that we sat and I think it is, and, yeah. saw, and it's I, like this is this changes everything. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's a fair comparison. I, I think in many ways this is our generation Star Wars, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and we think of generations. This is the next generation. You know, I would say the generation because obviously, yeah, I mean, it's a little different for everyone year to year. But if you're doing broad generation like bundles, I would say there's a generation where their childhood movie was Star Wars. And then our generation is the, the generation that their, their childhood movie was Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you could argue there's, you know, some time in the middle where, like, I don't know, the Goonies or Back to the Future and that, like, early to mid-80s is the middle point. But, you know, I, I feel like our generation who were kids in the 90s, Jurassic Park was our, our big movie. And yeah. it doesn't matter who I talk to I have never met anyone in my own age group that's never seen Jurassic Park and doesn't have some sort of memory or opinion of it you know like it just is yeah I mean everybody became up. Obs- it's so easy to be a kid and get like obsessed with dinosaurs but like 
being able to see them on screen and be terrified of them and also be in awe of them at the same time because they look so real you know and they, oh, yeah, they don't yeah. look like the you know the, the whatever lost continent version of um <clears throat> of the stop motion dinosaurs it's you know they 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 look so incredible they sound amazing um there's kids in the movie too that you can kind of relate to and mm-hmm. um like the adults aren't too much to where you're like this is not about kids anymore <laughs> when you're watching it oh but the adults anyway, are all great characters though. that's something they're that all you, great characters, you appreciate yeah. as you get older is that you know ian malcolm alan grant ellis adler uh john mm-hmm. hammond who spares no expense uh hello <laughs> john good. hello john hello john like you know I, like he uh <laughs> the lawyer even like you know it's, it's yeah the lawyer that you, yeah. That you enjoy seeing again when you watch it as an adult Absolutely, like there's 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 a lot more to the characters, and it's it's one of these things where it feels like it shouldn't be that hard to make a movie where dinosaurs like eat a bunch of people. But how many bad monster movies have we seen where the characters are all just so shit? And it's like, no, there is an yeah. art to actually making a group of likable characters who are memorable, who like being around, even if some of them are kind of more villainous. Like the lawyer is a little villainous, and that he's the the soulless one, mm-hmm. and you know kind of gets his comeuppance for being so but he's still memorable he's still memorable like his, his little slimy lanes where he's like oh we could have a coupon day you like you remember that you remember that lane you he's know? auto auto erotica <laughs> <laughs> what does all i mean auto erotica what would that even uh, uh, automated i think he was good <laughs> yeah but i'm just like what would that actually be if it was a real thing like, just a sex spot i guess like <laughs> Oh, I love that Hammond's just like not he's you know he's a mature adult he's just like he's not going to acknowledge that he's gonna, <laughs> he's going to say he he's going to act like he said the word that he meant to say not the word he actually Ham, said Hammond's going to say on uh, schedule I mean schedule yeah <laughs> very nice he's <laughs> uh, so easy it's so easy uh, but yeah uh, obviously uh, John Williams scores one of the best movie scores of all time uh, I think yeah. it's not I mean I, I do think I prefer his Superman score a bit better I think it's his best but I would put Jurassic Park over your Star Wars music. And I know that's controversial to a lot of people, but I think it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The, just the wonderment that you get from it. Like, because there's that thing, there's the horror of it, obviously, the, the Velociraptors, but the wonder of seeing that first, you know, dinosaur. And, yeah. You know, that's sort of a bitch. It's emotional, even. And yeah. it works so well that, like, when it's brought up again in a later sequel like it hits really hard you mm. know because you hear the, the music and you see the dinosaur and you know something's happening to it and you're like wow this is like really <laughs> i didn't realize how much this would affect me but it's yeah. because i love that first moment when you first see them so much yeah we have a t-rex you know there's just so <laughs> many yeah i mean just talk about set pieces like this this movie of everything on the list has like the most and the probably yeah. the most incredible <laughs> and the most memorable and just you know like the idea that the t-rex wasn't going to be in the like the last bit of the movie and someone said no you need to show the t-rex one more time so that's why yeah. the t-rex is there uh or even just the, <laughs> and i'm sure we said this in the review but the trivia that that line where uh alan grant says i think we're at the job and then malcolm says don't you mean extinct that's that's there because they had competing like teams try to do the effects you know in the early concept stage and stop there was motion. there was yeah. a stop motion attempt, which was apparently the most advanced ever. Like it was like the best stop motion they'd ever looked. Was this like test for the T Rex? Some some late eighties yeah. stop motion looks pretty good. Yeah, but so you, like, you could still tell. But they'd advanced it to like even further, and it was the most advanced ever. And then the CG team showed their T Rex, and apparently the stop one of the stop motion guys said, 
I think we're out of a job. Don't you mean extinct? And that that's, that actually made it into the movie. Uh, yeah. Referring to the archaeologist, which I I thought was a really neat little. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the line is funnier now when you rewatch yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, excellent. Which leaves just number one. Which, finally enough. Did number one. It was number five. Which, finally enough, number one has the one in it. <laughs> because number one, after some debating, is The Matrix. Uh, which is a movie that, despite the fact that it has sequels that get worse every time I have to sit through them, the first Matrix has only gotten better with time, and yeah. it is such a tight film, film. Yeah. that is layered with so many themes that have only gotten more layered as the as the years have went on, and you realize the directors are speaking from like some personal like ideas and experience on top of all the just the broad science fiction themes of individuality versus the the, the mass, the free will versus control. Um, all of this stuff is exceptional. And then on top of that, you put in incredibly inventive action sequences, mm-hmm. uh, cool visuals, the, the pacing of the movie is immaculate. It's always driving forward and revealing more about like, what's going on. And the idea of self-belief is perfect. And it ends so perfectly that it, it never needed a sequel. I wasn't against it having one, but obviously the ones we got, I wish we never did. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I think Matrix works the best uh, as a solo film. It does. Uh, that being said, I don't hate the sequels as much as you do. Um, I, I think the newest one also is pretty interesting. It's an interesting enough sequel to where like, oh, mm. no, this is good because it's doing something very different and very... It's a. It's also like an analysis of the first movie rather than trying to be like, well, this movie made a lot of money, so let's make another two more of them and, you know, uh, make this so that it, it kind of devalues the first film a little bit or you can't really analyze it in the same way because they continued the story. Um, but on its own, as a one film with the one <laughs> at number one, <laughs> it's an incredible movie. 10 out of 10, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, Matrix is fantastic, and I, <laughs> yeah, it's only gotten better over the years. I loved it when I was young, when I saw it at like ten years old, because of the action and all that. But as I've gotten older, like a lot of good science fiction, like any good movie, really, but like a lot science fiction especially, I feel there's a lot of movies that appealed to me as a kid because of the flash and the whiz and the bang. And then as I've gotten older, it's like no, there's like themes behind this, there's layers. This is mm-hmm. why it's a good film beyond that. Um, yeah, you know, what, as, what, what, as an adult stuck in the system, almost. Oh well, yeah, when sure. You watch it; it's very different. And then what, what, one of the most interesting scenes of the whole film is a scene where Cipher is talking about how ignorance is bliss. Is like, I know this stake's not real, but do I give a shit? Like, you know, that that that, that even just that scene on its own just lends itself to so much conversation about humans and yeah. the choices we make, uh, and will for ignorance. It's just it's so good. So, yeah, Matrix. Appropriate that it's stake. Hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Tara's saying that as a vegan, but I agree with the sentiment she's getting at. Um, even though I am not a vegan, mostly just because I am too fussy and can't give up <laughs> certain things. But uh, I can just, I'll send you some videos. <laughs> I want. I want. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately, if science fiction is about trying to like give messages about how we can be better, uh, and most of the good ones are. I mean, I don't know if Predator 2, for example, does, but like most of the good science fiction does. Um, you know, Matrix is up there with, with its, its ideas and all the rest of it. So, Do we even mention that um, Predator 2 has a Busey in it? 
Oh, I, I mentioned Gary Busey. Yes. Okay, good. I definitely mentioned Gary Busey. I thought I thought maybe we overlooked that, and that would have been a huge oversight. No, no, no. you were you were so uh, quick to try and bring up that I said Bill Paxton first that you never even mentioned that I said Gary Busey second. You're, you're right. You're right. And so yeah. that's all. That's that's what happened there. So we're we're good. We're good. Uh, <laughs> but yes, so that that is our, our combined atomic cinema experiment top twenty five sci fi movies in the nineteen ninety. Um. I actually did some research to see like how many other '90s films that we could do on the show, and I, I got like another like at least fifteen plus to do. So there'll be more '90s seasons. Maybe after we do a few '90s seasons, we can do another a revisit of this this countdown yeah, or something. Yeah, let's get some more cyberpunk in there. But we have to, uh, you know, we've done '70s and '90s now, so we do have to do '80s at some point. We have to do '2000s, so on and so on. Oh, we did '2010s too, because that that was like the current thing to do when we did that, but. Maybe we should expand to do more 60s and 50s movies. I mean, there's not like there's none. There's a lot. Oh, yeah, there's, there's definitely just, some to do. Um, uh, the quality versus like what we get, you know, later on, I'd say is, yeah, you know, you don't get the heavy hitters with the exception yeah. of 2001 and like Planet of the Apes and stuff or Daily Earth did still, but yeah, there's a lot to explore there too to make a list one day. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, uh, not an ace list per se, but I think we are going to be doing our top 50 movies of the 2000s in the near future. Uh, that won't be a combined list, though. That'll be one where we uh, each do our own list. So that won't well, be a... That won't be a, a long video. Yeah, that won't be an ace show. That'll be... It'll probably be a two-parter, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a series, right? Yeah. But, like, that, that'll be something that we do in the near future, which won't, won't just be sci-fi, that'll just be in general. But we, we've done uh, top 50 of the 2010s before, so we're going to do top, top 50 of the 2000s. Uh... But yeah, that is uh, that is this list. So uh, by all means, let us know your favorite uh, '90s sci-fi movies in the comments. And like I said, there was a lot of stuff that almost made the list and didn't. Uh, so if you're a patron or a YouTube member, you can check out that video. And that is the easiest way to support us is uh, by joining up and being one of those things. Uh, so go to Patreon.com/slash/MelfusTV or check out uh, the YouTube membership, which is is further behind in the bonus content. But I'm trying to catch it up a little bit. Uh, to to get it more uh, contemporary, but uh, the bonus for this will go out uh, as quickly as it does on Patreon, so that you know both sides get the same thing. But uh, yeah, go and check out all uh, all the bonus stuff and support the show. You can also uh, support us by liking, subscribing, ding the bell for notifications, and uh, all that stuff on YouTube and commenting. And of course, you can rate the podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcast from, five stars. That helps us out a lot. I'll also take a quick minute just to give you uh, our thanks to our Patreon producers. So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Bordenow, Christopher Moy, David Brown, Al Treisman, and Alison M. Fordyce. Uh, thank you to them. But that is, uh, that is the show. We'll be back next week with our most recent Patreon vote winner, which is Metropolis. So we're going old school. Uh, wow, I've never seen that next episode yeah so and it's really timely because it's literally about to become public domain uh next week oh so we're gonna get all sorts of remakes metropolis ja- blood and honey ja- january 1st <laughs> uh 2023 metropolis goes public domain so wow. yeah fun um that said though it's worth mentioning because of the way movies work any like high quality 4k restorations of it will not be public domain so you still have to pay for those but old film prints of it and the like the ideas of it will be public domain <laughs> cool so just uh, keep that in mind uh but uh there you go thank you very much once again for watching and listening we always appreciate it keep watching science fiction and computer at salsa